there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I'm Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio, and my microphone is on now. We did, yeah. We, we had some technical difficulties. Forgot, to start yeah, technical off. difficulties being, I forgot to turn on my microphone. It's, it happens. Yeah. It happens to the best of But them. luckily, you were here in person to reach over and turn it on. Well, I actually, this I is why we do it yeah. in person. Yeah, because I would have sat there for an hour going like, why can't you hear me? Why yep. can't you hear me? Yeah. And then I would have been like, oh, my. Or we have to cut out a half of a really good episode because yeah. it just sounds like... Can't talk about Cabinet of Curiosities. There's a review out there. It exists. Somewhere. Somewhere. You know what you should have done? You should have released it, but only from my audio. That's true. <laughs> you, know, we, we, you know, it would have been like really good. There would have just been these like five-minute chunks where you're just kind of like... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What you should have done is just re-recorded it. Do ADR. <laughs> Podcast ADR, yeah, they're doing good. I'm sure they do this. Though. I'm sure Rogan does that. Oh, I don't, I don't know. Those podcasts are like three <laughs> hours long. I think he has three hours of life, and then he deflates. Yeah, and then oh, they have to of have cart him off, and then yeah. they reinflate him for the next episode. Spotify's like, oh no, not again. <laughs> His neck grows back, and then they got to push it down. But yeah, it's it's the middle of November. We're off to the races with the prestige films. Maybe, I guess possibly. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we are, but there's yeah. more coming. Yeah, the big one where is coming next week with the Fablemans. That's the one that is the front runner right Doesn't now. It just looks so tired. Don't you just like watch that and you're like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I, I do. Seth Rogen being like, you have to make movies. It's Anytime like- I see Janice Kaminsky's like <laughs> cinematography now. I get tired. No, but the best part He's, about these last couple of movies I, is that Jens cinematography is on the, in the weirdest spot. You can't have these explosions of light and, like, kids just sitting. Yeah. It's just, not, like, in a living room. I don't think he's a good cinematographer. He's fine when the, when it's, when it's the, called in for. context. Yeah, but he's, like, he doesn't have a sense of context. I no, think. he doesn't. It's just there's light exploding regardless of what ha- is what's happening on screen. Yeah. Whew. I'll be the first of our, what, two? No, three. Is Bardo also, like... A filmmaker's tale, or is it only? Uh, yeah, is it okay? So first of three filmmakers, semi-autobiographical filmmaking movies. I don't, I don't know if I can see Empire Light Mario. I'll see it for I, the Deacons. I just I don't know cinematography. That's another thing with all we saw all these movies. I saw that trailer three times. It's on the nose. I don't know. And that's what is that? Resner and yeah. Finch doing the score. Yeah, I've heard some people say good things about the score. I'm excited to say terrible things about a score pretty soon. But anyhow, before we get into that, like I said, middle of November, which means it's time for the dark beers. Uh, I was looking for a good fall beer. Mostly all I could find was Christmas beers. Yeah, fall's over. Yeah, what the fuck? It's not Thanksgiving. It's still fall. People realize like there's the cornucopias or the smorgasbords or whatever that you see like in Thanksgiving things, have the fall leaves and pumpkins and squash. We're still in fall. Yeah. The day after Thanksgiving, you know what? Fine. You can. It can be Christmas. This is from Burlington Beer Company, which is basically, you know, yeah. that's 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 a, a drive away. It is a double coffee porter and called, appropriately enough, Barista. It's a very attractive can. It is. It's got a, it's just a, it's just a nice stylized yeah. um, coffee shop. Kinda, and but the, the weirdly, the coffee is from the French press is being poured over a cake. Yeah, but it's like silver and beige and or peach. Yeah, white, nice. black, seven point three percent. Pretty attractive. So, it's between this and a uh, a coffee, a Mexican style chocolate porter, 
with pumpkin puree. And I just decided on this. Good work, Mario. Drink it. Well, that's a, that's a lot of coffee. Hmm. The smell there. It's nice. That's what I want. That's what I wanted that's tonight. Because it's like, what is it? It's like 41 degrees out right now. Hmm. I mean, up here, 120 stories up, it's probably negative degrees. It's probably like negative 10. That's true, but we don't even, we don't even notice it up here. No, because we have our heat running full blast all the time. Because of We can afford it. Yeah. Inflation doesn't mean anything to us. Not, not to us. Yeah, that's good. It doesn't, it's not sweet, which I expected it to be. I expected it to be really sweet, but just kind of has that nice roasted malt flavor to it. Which gives it kind of like a boozy flavor, but without like the booze. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It does have some kind of round like alcohol. Well, it has like that congenitor, like the congenitor kind of taste that you get from like a darker alcohol taste. So it has that like maltiness to mm, it. Or, mm. It's good. Or whatnot. But it is, it is solid. It's very solid. Yeah. I almost want to put this in like a snifter glass style. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's you just not, like sip it. I'm not gonna pound heavy, this beer. It's almost not heavy enough for that. But. Yeah, but it's it's. I don't know. I feel like I want it to open up a little bit. I do. It's good though. But I do want. I almost want like a heavier version of this, from a mouthfeel perspective. Yes, I agree with you. Like I do want a bit of a syrupiness to this, mm. or like a or like a or like a milkiness. Maybe like oh yes, like a milkiness. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I really want it to measure out. Yeah, yeah. I want it to lengthen it itself. You want to know how much the, you want to know about the space. Yeah, that it, uh, exactly. That it occupies. Yeah. Um, we're going to go a little back in time here, folks. Because people have asked us to review this. Well, and I think it's smart because it was, um, even when it got added to HBO, it was a part yeah, it's of Yeah, it's only been a couple weeks since yeah. it's been launched on HBO. And yeah. that was really kind of renewed interest in this movie that people had a lot of interest in when it got released. Because I saw was, this opening weekend all the way back in August. And I'm going to ask you about like what it was like to see that with a with a crowd because like every goddamn stupid podcast I listen to about this movie is well, like, there's four people in the movie. You got to see it with the crowd. It there only was, works with the crowd. There was four people in the movie. Right. Theater, so. And that's the thing I've, <laughs> I don't think I've seen a movie in time with more than like a dozen people except Marvel movies. Well, yeah. I was going to say black Panther. I saw a lot. Uh, Banshees of Inishire had like 20 to 30 people in the theater. Oh yeah. We only had like, like six or seven. Armageddon Time had uh, one person in the theater. <laughs> there were actually, a, a woman brought two kids, which was cool. They were into it. There was like 10 people in there. Yeah, it, 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 that, that's a movie that works for kids. And we'll talk about this too, though, but I went to see Armageddon Time on the day that Black Panther got released, so that was super fun. Because I was like, there was... Just crowds. I thought I was going to be the only person there to see like any other movie. But it wasn't true. There's probably people that couldn't get in the Black Panther. So they're like, Maybe they're going like, to see anything. But the, the same thing. The first movie we're going to talk about today is um, Barbarian. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. This is 476 Barbary, right? Yeah, I'm renting this place. No, I booked it a month ago. Are you sure you have the right place? Yeah. What are we supposed to do? Why don't you come inside and we'll call these idiots. Why don't you just crash here? Oh, no. I don't know if you got a great look at this neighborhood, but I don't think you should be out there by yourself. It's dry and there's a lock on the door. By the way, I'm Keith. 
Tess. You take the bedroom, and I'll sleep out here on the couch. You know what's funny? I never saw this trailer. So, like, whatever was just going on right at the end there, I, I have no idea what it is. So, the trailer, it's a pretty solid trailer because, like, it literally just opens up into the basement at the, like, it builds on the, you know, the, the Keith and Tess together and the weirdness there and whatnot. And then finally, the basement opens up mm-hmm. and it just shows, like, down the basement. And that's about it. That's it. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah. I remember when I went to go see this, I thought it was going to be a hostile movie. Mm. Like it was going to be like a torture. Yeah, chamber, I, which I guess kind of. We can, and I had thoughts too. I think that's maybe that's one of the successes of the movie is that it kind of like suggests like all sorts of different kinds of movies. Yeah. Um, basically, I mean, I, I don't know if we need, even need to do a spoiler alert here. We're going to talk spoilers here. Um, the movie's been out for a long time. It was in theaters. It was on HBO Max. There's plenty of ways. I think it's on demand now, too. So yeah, you can rent Plenty it. of opportunities for uh, you to have like seen. 20, might even be like $4.99 now. Yeah. Um, plenty of opportunities for you to see Barbarians. We'll just talk a little bit about, about the plot. Uh, Georgina Campbell plays Tess. She is uh, shows up at an Airbnb in Detroit or a suburb just outside of Brightmore. Brightmore. Um, in the, in, at night, and it's raining, and uh, she can't get in because it's already occupied by Keith, played by Bill Skarsgård. They decide that they're going to, you know, share the space. They have a a nice evening together. Um, She's there for a job interview. He's there to kind of scope out some some houses that him and his band can kind of turn into like a a recording studio rehearsal space. Um, Well, they're like, yeah, what is, he's like a gentrifierist thing. Not, Not really gentrifying, but like they're performance artists sort of like. They're ja- like a jazz like ensemble, right? But they do stuff too. Well, like the so, areas, yeah. So he, trying to like reclaim the areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, Brightmore would be eligible for being reclaimed because yeah. on the way back from her interview, or on the way to her interview, and on the way back from her interview, she notices that like every house around there is totally empty. Which and, I, you know, which I think is clever because in that opening shot, like Trevor or Zach Craig. Zach Krager does uh, a solid enough job of making it so you can kind of tell that across the street shitty. Mm. <laughs> like, you can kind of see the, the trash. Yeah. I thought that was clever. I was like, oh, this is a shitty area. But you can't really see But you see don't know it. how shitty, yeah, yeah. like what the nature of that is. Um, when Georgina is sleeping the night before, the door opens. And she, you know, asks Keith, like, did you open my door? And he's like, no. So we kind of, we're kind of in the mindset that Keith might be up to no good. Um... She goes into the basement one day to get toilet paper. Uh, she finds when she's in the basement, she finds there's like a rope attached to a door. And so she pulls the door and then pulls on the rope and then a door opens. And then there's a murder room at the end of the hall. That's super freaky. And then she goes upstairs and she's going to leave. And Keith convinced her to stay for no reason. Then Keith goes down into the basement to see what is. And then Tess follows him down a little bit later. And, uh, Finds out that there's another stairwell downstairs, oh, just past the, the murder room, and um, Keith is killed by something, some kind of weird monster. Jump cut to Justin Long, who is perfectly cast as a big fucking douchebag. He's getting, he's being the big douchebags often now. He's just in, he was in that vampire movie that was directed by um, earlier this year. That was done by a person that did. 
um, the Wicker Man remake. But oh, yeah, Neil yeah, yeah. something. I know the name. Yeah. But I can't think of it right now. But he's playing douchebags all the time. It's great. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's doing well for himself. Um, turns out he owns this house. He runs it as an, he runs it as an Airbnb. Neil he's LaPoo. getting, he's, oh yeah, Neil LaPoo. He's getting me too'd. He needs money for a lawyer, so he goes to sell this house. He finds out there's people living in this house. He goes into the basement. He's very excited because he finds all this extra square footage down there in the in a very funny sequence where he's measuring the murder room and not acknowledging that it's a murder room. Um, and then he goes, you know, he goes further downstairs. He's like, hell yeah, and he decides to measure these hallways. And then he um, also gets attacked by some kind of huge woman and then thrown into a pit with Tess, we find out. Um, and I mean, I, there, the plot is just, I feel like I'm doing all these details. The woman apparently has lived in the basement for a long time. She Your entire is life. The, she is the product of uh, a massive amount of incest um, from some serial killer who, who lived there and I guess built this Good old Richard Brake once yeah. again playing a villain. If I ever won a lottery, I'd cast that man as my as my protagonist, as a hero. I bet he would explode. <laughs> he'd just like he'd just like turn it down. He'd try to he'd try to smile and do his first line. And he'd just be, <laughs> <laughs> um, there is um some escaping. There's some chasing. There's uh, a water tower scene where uh, Justin Long douchily lets or kind of pushes Tess off the water tower to save himself. Uh, the mother who has grown attached to Tess like jumps after her and Tess lands on the mother and Justin Long says a bunch of douchey shit to her again and then the mother wakes up and rips his head in half which was pretty good after poking out his eyes with her thumbs. Um, and then Tess has to kill, the, her, kill her mother which is sad. Sad for her. Um... And then we get Ronnie Spector's playing. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, another big part of it, too, is Justin Long. Like, the second half of the movie is kind of AJ, Justin Long's character, is, like, trying to be redemption arc. At first, he denies raping his co-star, I believe. And then eventually, when he's drunk with his friend, played by Zach Krager, uh, the director, he kind of goes like, oh, she came around. So he admits to raping her. Yeah, yeah. And then he tries to have this redemption arc, but he just keeps on end up being a, a dick. And I think... I think he carries it quite a bit. I think he does. In that second half. Um, what? I don't like. I, I, I think, think. I think the turn's clever, right? I the, think people. Which turn? Like the, the, the Justin the, Long the, turn? Yeah, the Justin Long turn yeah. is clever. Um, you know, killing off who's supposed to be one of your main two leads in the forty minutes in, I believe he yeah. gets killed. Was was clever enough? You know, it's 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 borrowing from that kind of old cliche of Psycho and Scream or whatnot. I mean, Scream does it in the very beginning, but um, I, I think it's, I think overall, my opinion of it is it's well done horror, but it's just fine. It's pretty good, I guess. It's still like in my top 20 mm. of the year. Um, I think it's well made in what it's doing. I think Zach Krager is good enough to hit those beats in terms, you know, like a lot of comedians turn directors, uh, comedy people turn horror directors, able to hit those beats that are necessary. I think people maybe are losing their shit too much about this. Yes. Um, which is fine. If you enjoy it, you enjoy it sort of thing. But I just don't, I don't think there's, there's a need to be that infusive for it. I'm all for the, the Justin Long renaissance, of course. Um, but yeah, I, th I think it's just, I think it's just pretty good. 
Um, I agree with you. I didn't. I enjoyed it um, for what it was. Um, I had a lot of fun with the first yeah, it's, 40 it's a lot minutes. of fun. Um, yeah, Bill Skarsgård dying was kind of a bummer because Bill Skarsgård is. is well, I, just, I don't. I don't necessarily love Georgina Campbell in this. I think she's. I think she's good. I think she sells the kind of like she's very wary. She's very aware of like she's very aware of like what this looks like and who this like what this guy looks like and what the situation looks like and like. And so it's, yeah, it's, I, I think, she keeps I think, being she keep, she doesn't give herself to this situation like wholly right away. Yeah, I, I, I think that I think I misspoke. Georgina Campbell's not really a problem because I think she's doing a well emoting and whatnot. I don't think Zach Crager necessarily wrote her well enough at points. I think she becomes at times early on a plot convenience to sort of move things along. Yeah. Well, I there's a, there's a point. I think my big problem with this movie is at some point in, at some point she becomes like a cipher. For like a moral tale, and I what I thought was cool about the beginning was that it, it had no, it didn't show like it didn't seem like it was going to do any of that stuff at all. It seemed like it was going to be a straight ahead, just kind of scare, um, jump scare like you know or mood festival. You know what I mean? It was just going to keep you know, and the fact that they keep going down further, like yeah. so at the end of the hall, there's there's this. Go downstairs. There's a door. Holy shit! There's a murder room at the end of the door. She doesn't recognize that there's more door until like after Keith has kind of already gone down. And then she reveals more door, and I was like, "Oh, it'd be awesome if they just kind of kept finding new." I thought they're going to stuff. Keep, I thought they were going to keep going yeah, further down. It was going to be like has above, so below. And I was like, "That would be that's an awesome idea." But then when they try to inject like a Me Too storyline in there, and then like the idea that he's like he does suck, and like. He's not redeemed. So the idea that like they keep trying to yeah, they, redeem him like is not necessary either because he starts he starts and ends in the exact same place. Which I think is trying to say like, you know, once you've made that kind of choice, it's, it's done. Because like they sure talk, they talk about trying the, to say the, anything. The homeless man. Um, oh God, Doug is that is that who the homeless man was? That character? No, it wasn't Doug. I don't know the homeless man. Could have um, been Doug because who else could he be? Oh, it was Andre. Maybe Andre, yeah. Um, he talks about like the the bigger monster there, and he's clearly talking about Frank, the, the Richard Brake character, right? Like it's it's that's supposed to be clear, like all oh, these two are very similar parallels of one another. Mm-hmm. I do think it's pretty impressive how that that uh, that Frank guy built an entire subterranean huge basement. It's pretty good, job yeah. Like he's an evil monster, absolutely. But congratulations on that. I mean, I just like uh, uh, the one thing. The one thing I guess I do think this movie did well. That a lot of movies try to do, a lot of horror movies try to do with like their monsters, but kind of fail at doing. Uh-huh. I think Texas Chainsaw is a good example of this. Is kind of like the empathetic monster uh-huh. sort of thing. They try to do it often with like Leatherface, and I don't think they ever succeeded because there's still kind of like an enjoyment in the violence with Leatherface. Mm-hmm. I think this was the one movie where I looked at the monster and was like, oh, this is actually like she's acting out of impulse with her attacks. Like she. Is frightened when she kills Keith, basically, because of his action. She kills Andre because he thinks she's stealing tests. He kills, and then she kills um, AJ because, well, fucking obviously. Right, yeah. Um, so I thought that was, like, the most successful part of that movie was creating, like, a monster who, in the end, when she like, is, Tess is crying and shoots her, you do feel like, oh, that's... Unfortunate. It's well, like yeah, it's sure. sad to be a product of, of what's happening. You know, you had no choice. You're just kind of you're doing instinctual things. Um, 
I thought that was I thought that was kind of the most successful part of this movie. Yeah, this was creating that. I definitely don't think the monster is like to blame for any bad feelings I have about the movie. I just it felt like it felt like it was going to be fun, and then they just like stuck it a message to, onto yeah. it for some reason. And like the message, I you know I agree with. I just don't know if I need it. Like I don't know if I needed it. I just I don't like in this, at minute I, forty one. In this I don't movie. think I don't think I need AJ to be a rapist. I think I just need AJ to be a dick. Like, just a dick homeowner who's maybe got fired from, like, make him Hollywood still, but he got fired for some other reason. Yeah. But he's still, like, a douchebag for, because you already got, like, the gentrification thing going on there. Um, yeah, maybe just don't try to, because that happens quite a bit, right? The gentrification aspect and mm-hmm. the, like, how Detroit cops have kind of given up on Brightmore. It does feel like at points with this messaging, it's trying to yeah. do too many balls in the air at once. It's like, it's not... You don't need to do that. It's right? just not, yeah, it's just not necessary. You just need your protagonist to be writing a memoir. Yeah, yeah. And then you ideally, know, her granddaughter starts dating uh, Michael Myers. It's fun. You just need that. Yeah, there was no um, Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, I will say this fi- last thing though. Yeah, yeah. The sec the AJ's kill for years, not for a good couple of years, is always. I'm kind of both ex- happy and frustrated by this. I've always wanted to see that kill, but I also always wanted to do a horror movie of my own where I do that kill. Which part? The the, uh, the ripping a head in half. In half like that. And it was exactly how I imagined. I wish it kind of lingered a little longer. Mm. But when it happened, I was like, that's what I've all that's the kill I've always wanted to see. It was nice. See. It was very satisfying that they were it was all practical effects. I do like that like this movie was all Absolutely, and too. that's why even when I kind Which of see him fun when you see Andre's arm get ripped off, and yeah. you could see you clearly see uh, you know James Butler's other arm still tucked in next to him. Um, but I think that's part of the reason why, even though I butted up a little bit against like the the message of the movie, the message that was kind of gerrymandered into the movie, it still was satisfying because of it felt very organic and practical. Yeah, it had like. It had that mid two thousands Eli Roth feel to it, which I, I know a lot of people should on that in terms of like the practicality and the practical yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and like its speed and fun at times. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I enjoyed it for that because it kind of felt like a, a throwback. It's too weird to say it did. a throwback of those movies. Yeah, um, we're getting old, uh, but yeah, I guess it's fun. It's worth watching, but don't go into it reading the effusiveness and expecting. Yeah, I mean, I listened next, to some podcasts where like this is uh, this is depraved and unbelievable, and I was like, is it? It's not depraved. Like, what movies have That's you seen? Very believable, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, Terrifier Two is is decent. I, I could I could say that sure, it's depraved, but I could not say that this is depraved. No, because Terrifier Two, from what it sounds like, hates people, and this yeah. movie like clearly doesn't. Yeah, this movie's clearly this is a movie. Um, Do you know who hates people? Well, especially Colombian drug lords. Oh, yeah. Well, does he hate them? Well, I, he, I think he grows to hate them. I thought he hates those executives at Scotty Bros. He does hate those guys. <laughs> especially, especially, um, <coughs> I, I want to say Chris Barnell. Will uh, Forte. Will Forte. Uh, we are talking about the Roku channel. Jesus. Um, parody film, Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Every once in a great while, I can spot a talent that I know is the future of music. But first, we gotta find you a stage name. Al Yankovic. It's long, it's hard to pronounce. I'm just gonna throw this out there. Weird Al Yankovic. 
I love it. Taking the world by storm. Do I know you? Madonna, I was wondering if you were going to do a parody of my song, Like a Virgin. I'm curious, is that song autobiographical? Yes. <laughs> Except for the fact that I've had a lot of sex. Name me one creative genius that doesn't have a checkered past involving alcohol. That's the medicine. And drugs. I think Madonna's a bad influence on you. What? No offense. I'm a train wreck. My parents wrote me off. I pushed away my band. You're all just a bunch of normals. I'm the weird one. You gotta take care of yourself. I saw in you something special. An artist with something to give to the world. In front of all the billions of people watching around the world right now, all I want to say is be as weird as you want to be. You will never find true happiness until you can truly accept who you are. Thank you. Beard tells the tale of Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, growing up as a child, he uh, just wants to be a musician and play his accordion. Um, when he's shown it by, uh, I'm forgetting so many names, Thomas Lennon, uh, a traveling salesman, who's then beat up by Toby Huss, um, this uh, Weird Al's father, because Toby just wants him to work in the factory. Weird Al plays the music secretly, you know, learns the accordion, because his mother lets him, lets him play it, but he has to play it in secret until eventually he goes to an illicit polka party as a teenager, uh, where people find his talent, um, but you know he's discovered. He's, he's he's sent home, and his accordion's torn apart. And eventually, Weird Al goes off on his own, um, struggling to to find a part of himself until he just comes up with my Bologna. After listening to my Sharona, uh, and it takes off automatically, becomes a huge hit. Uh, he tries to get a record deal, but he can't get a record deal because parody songs will never take off. And so he goes to a bar and does you know I. Love Rocky Road, and yep. they, people lose their mind. And Doctor Demento's there, who's Weird Al's, you know, favorite person of all time. And Doctor Demento says, "I will be your Dementor, his mentor," and <laughs> takes him <laughs> his wings. And Weird Al becomes huge, beloved. Um, he explodes out onto the scene, gets a record deal, but then uh, he accidentally takes a bunch of LSD <laughs> in guacamole because Doctor Demento was just <laughs> eating some. <laughs> LSD guacamole, and uh, he discovers he wants to write his own music. He just wants to be a parody guy. So he writes Eat It, a completely original Eat It, yep. not based on any song. Uh, and eventually Michael Jackson parodies it with Beat It, <laughs> which is about nothing really at all. Right. Maybe fighting, they think, or dancing. It's not really a parody, they say. Um, and Weird Al's frustrated by this. He meets Madonna who's just trying to use him to get that Weird Al bump. Because as we hear, when Weird Al parodies your song, the original act suddenly sells a million more copies. Yep. And she's hoping that he'll parody all of her songs and take off and explode. And she gets him into alcohol. He becomes, he becomes an alcoholic and an angry man and whatnot. He eventually makes like a surge, which takes off. And, but then everyone leaves him. Everyone's like, see you later. 
kid from Unbreakable is like, I'm out of here too. <laughs> uh, and all he's left with is Madonna. And she says, we'll go and take over the music world when she's kidnapped by Colombian drug dealers because Pablo Escobar is a hyper fan of Weird Al. And so Weird Al's forced to go down to Colombia to save her. He kills all the Colombian drug lords. He uses one of his platinum records to kill Pablo Escobar. Um, and he comes back. But then Madonna leaves him because she goes like, I want, I, you know, with Pablo Escobar dead, we can take over the drug empire. And she's, yeah. he's like, no. Well, so she decides to take over the drug empire, but she can't keep Weird Al alive because he knows too much. So Weird Al escapes, goes back to his parents, goes to work at the factory where he never learns what it was made. And he learns that his father grew up Amish and also had a love of music yep. and the accordion, but could never take off and was just banned from the Amish community because of his accordion. Um, and while he was there, he wrote Amish Paradise. And Weird Al reads Amish Paradise and performs it, and it becomes a huge hit. And finally, he becomes, he wins the, the Grand Award, the Hollywood, I think it's the Hollywood Music Award or something like that. Something, yeah. Um, for uh, a best accordion player in a very specific <laughs> genre of music, beating out a very upset prince. Um, when he is then assassinated and dies in 1985 on the orders of Madonna. But then he's... He lives on he through lives his on. music. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's funny in a lot of parts. It's, it's very obviously ridiculous. Um, you know, none of those things actually happened. I'm not even sure. I think Weird Al might even be straight edge. I don't even know if he's even drank alcohol. Um, I, yeah, I, uh, yeah I for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, I think, I do think it. he eats Rocky Road. Um, so that part's accurate. Uh, like, some of it's accurate. You know, Dr. Demento you know, being his kind of mentor and whatnot. Uh, or Rain Wilson the, is perfectly cast as yeah, I think, Dr. Demento. I think most the, everybody that's, like, in a major role here works pretty Except for Weird Al, who's a terrible I, actor. He's a terrible actor. But Weird <laughs> but uh, it works because Weird Al's, like, very on-the-nose line reading of Eat It. The, this is a completely original song, yeah, you're yeah. saying. Makes it fine oh, for great. me. yeah. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe's great in this. Uh, it's, it's hilarious that <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe, who's super cut, has a lot of shirtless scenes, yeah. which I'm sure adds to it. Uh, you know, just a super cut, <laughs> weird Al, constantly shirtless, um, compared to weird Al, who I, who I assume is probably not. I think he not is. That, I'm sure he's probably fit. cut, fit, yeah. but I don't think he's He's not character jacked. Yeah, like Daniel Radcliffe's decently... Dan Radcliffe can add like 15 pounds of muscle and be probably in a superhero movie if you want to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think everything works here. It's a lot of fun. It's it's ultimately pretty forgettable. It's, it's There's nothing really going on here beneath the surface besides good jokes, a long, escalating two-hour Funny Art Die parody, which is which has some jokes that miss, but some of the jokes really land. Yeah. I think some of the lighter jokes, the, the lesser jokes, land the best. Yes. Um the funny, like the funniest joke to me was Toby Huss going, well, no, I think the funniest joke for me is Thomas Lennon just getting the shit kicked out of him. Um, but then Toby Huss going, God damn, we should have kept the production rights. <laughs> no, the funniest joke is when and the factory, and the entire when he's at that, um, when he's at that concert and he's really drunk and they like switch to like the doors. And oh, it's like, they, so it's they the do Jim the Jim Morrison, the Jim like, Morrison in New Haven. Haven. Yeah. yeah. That was really great. I love that. <laughs> I love that part. Um, I, oh, and, and, uh, I'm, Oh man, what what is it? I'm 
the guy from Queen. Uh, oh, Roger De- uh, Roger Deakins. No, um, yes, Roger Deakins. I'm the drummer. It, from, yeah, the drummer from Queen. Roger Taylor. John. Uh, John Taylor. John John Deacon. John Deakins. And it's Roger John, John De- Deacon and Roger Taylor. John Deacon, the bass player. Yes. He's like I'm from Queen, the ba- the bass player from Queen. Um, hard pass. <laughs> Entirely forgettable, but when you're watching it, it's hard not to think that this is the best Daniel Radcliffe has ever been in a movie. Am I am I am I too far out on a limb here, Mario? Uh, he was great. No, he's he's tremendous in this. <laughs> I mean, he's not gonna. He's like on my long list right now. I doubt very much he'll make my short list, but there's a chance that just his realization of or or the inception of my Bologna scene like leads to like some kind of like awards glory for him because he sells some of these scenes well, like it can't, so it, won't, it can't get an oscar nomination at all because oh, because it's not playing in theaters yeah it never played in theaters it was exclusively roku like i know weird al like wanted it to go to theaters because he wanted his song to be eligible oh i could have seen them throwing in a nod to to weird al yeah yeah oh for sure just um, because that performance would have got ratings for them absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. Um, that's a fun. It's not the best song, but it's and they're fun. gonna and they're gonna need it this year, um, as we've kind of like been intimating. <laughs> yeah, um, he sells it so hard that like even when this movie just kind of like spirals into like total ridiculousness, where it's not really rooted in anything anymore, and it's not really making jokes, it's just kind of being insane, um, or like it's just being randomly zany yeah um you're just like well but he's so good and he's grounded but it's yes. crazy because he's going insane throughout it but he stays somehow grounded i still. agree yeah it's it was a very weird it actually made it for a very weird viewing experience what's what i think's interesting is i think the best parts of this movie because i think him and toby huss really knock it i think toby huss is well toby really, huss is like a genius yeah yeah and like the scenes of those two together are just work so well yeah um and like in the Evan Rachel Wood as Madonna thing, I think, is makes some sense. She's fine. I wish that she was kind of given more to do than, like, be a, a funny Madonna. Yeah, um, she's kind of just a mustache-furling villain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like... She's not super interesting. Um, um, but that... Yeah, it was, a, it was a good time when it was... I was glad when it was over. Because it did feel like it was kind of going on forever. Yeah, it was like a, like it was like ten to fifteen minutes yeah. too long. But it was all it was super fun. I kind of felt like it. the Pablo. I know it needed to happen to get to the ending. But I kind of felt the Pablo Escobar stuff was like none of that really worked for me from a joke stand, except for like the guy that played Pablo uh, Arturo Castro was had a pretty good spot on some of his jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just kind of thought none of that worked. It was just and it kind of jumps back. In the working when it goes back to the Amish Paradise stuff. But yeah. I feel like you could cut that stuff out. Yeah, I agree and, with you. And it would be a better movie for it. I think they just wanted to have like an action sequence, but it was clearly like very low budget. Um, yeah. You know. Oh, this movie feels like it was made for like 500000 It was made for $8 million, but, but it feels like it was made for like $8 million 000. seems about right also. Um, yeah. Where it was just like, you know, we already have a a hanger set here. Do you want to just use it and put a table and have like the drug lords sit at a table? It's like, yeah, we'll do that. It's fine. doesn't matter. Yeah. Like I said, it does feel like a long planar die sketch with like the quality of 
film. <laughs> but if you have like an hour and a half or an hour and 45 minutes and um, you really like Weird Al or like you really like Daniel Radcliffe, like you could, there's worse ways to spend your time. I like Rain Wilson, who's doing this enough. Yeah, I guess, it, but he's also just being Rain Wilson. Like he's not doing anything that like super interesting that yeah. he didn't already do as, I mean, he's perfectly cast in that like, when if you said like who should play Doctor Demento in a movie, I would just instantly say Rain Wilson, like without really thinking about it very much. Yeah, he's definitely a better choice than like Patton Oswalt, who was the in the sketch was originally the Doctor Demento. I do think Rain Wilson's a better choice. And if you've ever wanted to be terrified about uh, thinking Conan O'Brien is melting, <laughs> him as Andy Warhol <laughs> looks like Conan O'Brien melting. Yeah, Jack Black as Wolfman Jack is also very good. Um, what song did he write at that party? Oh, he wrote um, uh, another one. Another rides one, the bites, rides, rides the rides bites. The bus, yeah. 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 Well, it's the thing, and that's so that's this. That party is like actually the perfect. Um, Which is also is that the same set has like boogie nights? It looked like it. it was definitely supposed to be a boogie nights thing. Yeah, but and that that should be way funnier than it is. It's pleasant. It's a very pleasant scene. That's a couple good jokes. I want it to be like. Yeah uproariously funny and it's just kind of not but like it's and it's not like a lesser movie for it I guess it's just a less memorable one because there was no way this movie was ever going to be like a great movie and it was never intended to be a great movie it was just you know fun yeah exactly um you know what movie is not like super fun Mario unless you love dads beating their sons with belts for an indeterminate amount of time just just going to town and going back, doing a little like grabbing, um, is oh my god, I'm again time. No, it's Raphael Warnock leads to, leads to leave me alone. He's texted me like a hundred times since he realizes last you can't vote, right? He just wants my money, and because I gave it to him two years ago, and he wants more of it. Armageddon time, Mario. It's fucking Armageddon time in I mean, Georgia. It's, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good smart idea to have a political. Text. I guess so. Before talking, that was not movie. intentional. But talking I just about like, on the nose politics absolutely. talks. I think you know what I mean. My parents are sending me to my brother's school. That's heavy. In this institution, you can be anything you want to be. It won't be because of a handout. It'll be because you earned your way there. Something's bugging you. What is it? Sometimes kids say bad words about the black kids. Who's that? Somebody from my old school. Did they ever come to your house? What do you do when that happens? Obviously nothing, of course. You think that's smart? My mother, you know, when we came over here, we didn't have much. Why'd she come here? Because they wanted to kill her, that's why. They were soldiers, and sometimes they go out looking for Jews. They hated us then, and they still hate us. So I got on the boat and we came over here to America, the land of dreams. You just wanted to be like you. I want you to be a whole lot better than me. Life is unfair. Be thankful when you get a leg up. You make the most of your break and do not look back. All my hopes are with you and your brother for my whole life. Next time those schmucks say anything bad about those kids, you're gonna say something. You're gonna be a match, okay? Firm handshake. Okay, give me a hug.
I'd be a mensch. Uh, it's 1980. We're in Queens, New York. Um, Paul Graff is going to uh, public school. He's getting in some trouble with his friend uh, Johnny. Johnny, played by Jalen Webb. Paul Graff's played by Banks Rapetta. He was very good. Yeah, good actors in this were pretty solid. Yeah. Um, Can't say that about some other people. We'll get there. <laughs> um, he lives with his parents. Irving, played by Jeremy Strong, and Esther, played by Anne Hathaway. They are people in this movie. Jewish. Um, his grandfather, played Aaron, played by Anthony Hopkins, is also around. Um, he's a voice you just heard that was like, be a mensch, the thing there. Um, this yeah, movie I cursed is, again. Yeah. This movie is about, I'm not going to go into like the plot because we'll talk about it when we talk about it. Um, this movie is about um, a, a Jewish kid and a black kid um, coming together and kind of uh, causing some trouble um, that is not, and I'll, I'll, I'll be a little critical here, is not really rooted in anything specific other than the fact that they both feel like outcasts from, one feels like outcasts from his family and Paul and Johnny, the black guy, the kid, feels like an outcast from society because he's treated like shit by his teacher for no good reason. Even though there's lots of, there's seemingly lots of black kids in that class. Like when they take the class picture, there's multiple black kids. So yeah, does he treat all of them like garbage? Johnny lives with his grandmother who um, he says doesn't, might not even know who he is. He's very poor. He ends up living on the streets for a little bit. They, the movie climax is where they kind of, um, uh, Aaron, Aaron, the grandfather dies. Um, there's like just a lot of stress and tension in the house. You know, Paul is kind of not living up to his parents' standards. He's going to run away. Johnny's got nothing here. He wants to go to Florida. They're going to steal a computer from the school. And um, the private school that the private school that, that Paul goes to set there after um, smoking, weed. which is, which is um, Trump Academy, I think. Right. Yeah. It's supposed to be yeah. it's something funded by Fred Trump to quote Mario. <laughs> that was, that was really bad. Um, and uh, they get caught stealing the computer, and uh, Johnny ends up going to jail, even though Paul tries to do the right thing and uh, take uh, take responsibility for it. Because um, Johnny Johnny kind of ex- uh, not accepts his fate in life, but right. because of the world around him, right. ends um, up thinking that he doesn't have. He's the one that will have no options, right? Which is which. Um, in the world of this movie, is probably. Right. Yeah, you know what would have been really good if this movie was more the, the two kids and uh, Let's get Anthony Hopkins there every so often, hmm. and none of Jeremy Strong or Anne. Mario, let's get to it. I, um, I think it's fine. Okay, I think it's okay. I was I, guess. I was moved by the very very obvious things that were happening in this movie. It's a it's a it's a competently crafted film with. Um, mostly competent actors. Um, I said mostly, Mario. <laughs> I said mostly. Yeah, no, I, I agree because um, I, I think I think Hopkins fucking nail can use the nail. Awesome. That yeah. first speech he gives like, in the bedroom is killer. Yeah, killer. He delivers it in a in a in an excellent nuanced way. In the rest of the movie, he's kind of just being very I, obviously. I think the, play, it's good. The, playground, it works. the playground scene's also good. Not playground, but the park the scene. The rocket scene, yeah. Is, is good because there is a a control to his anger. A little bit, yeah. That yeah, is yeah. not... That yeah. he wants to be more angry. 
but he realizes he can't. I'll just say that that scene reminded me, that was the one scene that reminded me a little bit about of the two popes, where it seems like he's nailing this, but it doesn't actually seem like he's doing any work. You know what I mean? It seems like he's just kind of like saying his lines in the way that he would say them. And it's, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't, there's, it doesn't feel like, there's an it doesn't feel solid enough. There's an inflection. No, I think there's like a, an inflection to Anthony Hopkins in those scenes that, that he, he's really good, I think, at presenting things naturally mm-hmm. to where it kind of feels. You're probably easy. right. You're probably right. It's just there. I'm, I don't know why I have this kind of like block, like he's old and he's acting old type of thing. And I think well, it's, yeah, it is. just comes from the, it just comes from, it all comes from the two popes where he seemed like he didn't know where he was. We, but we learned that it was on purpose. Right. Exactly. Um, because he definitely feels very cognizant here. Well, again, especially in that first speech, he um, is Jeremy Strong is the one who feels like he might be lost. All right, so let's just we'll skip everything else. Let's go right to the Jeremy Strong part. He's fucking terrible. He is. What and the fuck is going he is on? Bad. Do you as watch hell. Succession? No, I don't either. But I've heard but I've he's seen good. some scenes from Succession. And is he? Is he? he no, this, I don't. I don't think he's awful in this think, movie. I don't think I've ever liked Jeremy Strong in anything I've seen Jeremy Strong in. Well. Yeah, me neither, because even in the trial of and, Chicago 7, he's just playing a cliche. And there's like, my problem with this too is it seems like James Gray sometimes likes to focus on actors who he thinks are really good, but aren't that good. Example besides this. I, I don't know. It's, it's a, there's some parts where I he don't disagree Brad, with there's you. There's some parts where I think he, in Ad Astro, where he thinks Brad Pitt's going to be able to do the heavy mm. lifting of an emotion. Like, I'm not saying Brad, I think Brad Pitt's an okay actor. I think he's a pretty decent actor. In the right movie, yeah. In the right movie. But I do think like James Gray is like one of those directors who's like, do your thing. I trust you. He feels like that. Yeah. And I feel like somebody like Brad Pitt needs direction. And I just think somebody like Jeremy Strong needs to not be in movies <laughs> or television. Maybe community theater. Um, I don't think he, I think he's awful. He was I think terrible he's, in I this think, movie. Yeah. Uh, and, and Anne Hathaway just kind of seems bored and ti- she seems kind of tired. I, so the Anne There's Hath- parts where she works, but other parts where the Anne Hathaway experience. In, uh, so this is my, this is my ultimate criticism of the movie, which again, I found if the, this tastes different, we're drinking medical. It tastes fruity. And, but like still hoppy. And, still but also good. dry. Yeah, and like, like it. it's, like it's it. good. It's just different. Yeah. This movie is empty. It has no core. It has I, no emotion. It's not rooted to anything. Things just happen. This is the James Gray problem. The same thing happened it, with Ad Astro. Absolutely. Hap- Lost City of Z, I think, is actually pretty okay. But we can, but that's like a different kind of a different type movie. of movie. Yeah. I never um, saw, what was this first? Is 08 one? The Two two Lovers? Two Lovers, yeah. So yeah. Never saw that. I'm not, like, and so I've seen pieces really, of like Lost all City of Z, Ad Astra, and this are the only James Gray movies I've actually I, seen. I keep, keep trying to give James Gray chances because everyone's like, oh, he's so good. I've never experienced like real, like I've never experienced James Gray and said like that was a real quality movie or that was like transcended anything other than like what exactly what it's said think, to be, which is a family, like a, a slight family drama. I think he's good at capturing certain mo- like there's certain moments yep. where he captures a performance or the, the choice of a performance and. This. The performance is edited in a way and shot in a way and like yep. the shot choices and whatnot work really well. The park scene so in this, the moon pirate scene in Ad Astra. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> Wait. Remember the moon pirates? I do, but I don't think that's the best scene in that. No, it's, it is the best scene. They're moon pirates. Oh, I, I prefer the scene on um, like some of the discussion scenes on Mars. Yeah. 
fine Mario Moon Pirates. <laughs> uh, but but so I, I think I think there's like shots of brilliance, and I think that's what they keep doing with James Gray. Is like, oh, there is potential, and I think there is a lot of potential. Yep. But I almost feel like he needs like a co-director to be like, okay, you got these moments. Now let me take over for the rest of it. Yeah, because his movies end up feeling Swiss cheesy in a way, in that there's like real moments of solid clarity that are really super engaging the, the two speeches the two big speeches from hopkins for me really work yep so the times with with paul and johnny like super yeah work. they're for really sure. solid kid actors um but then there's those big holes where he lets jeremy strong do his shit um or just oh, fuck, or, or like or like the fucking like the two minute scene of trying to wake up paul get up get up Dang, right? It's like, what are you doing? You were just screaming like, Why at him. is this not like 30 seconds? But I also don't understand why Paul is the way that he is. So like, if he's so afraid of his dad, when he's screaming at him to not order dumplings, why does he keep order dumplings? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Dumplings sound really good right now. Oh, dumplings are good. But do you see what I mean? Like, yeah. how could he be terrified of him in one scene and not give a fucking shit about him in a totally different scene? That makes no sense. No, and that's the thing. I think there's, it's, it's, it's Swiss cheesy. It's disjointed at parks. And that's, that's but, kind of like his thing. But why? This is so easy. This stuff is so easy to do. Like, he's not doing anything, like, really complicated here. He's making a very simple movie. But he just, he can't, like... He can't nail it. So, like, what I was saying about Anne Hathaway before when we were talking about her, she'll kind of, like, swing. Her character will swing in these really wild ways from, like, one part of a scene to another part of the scene. You're just like, who are you? Like, yeah, are and you... I, 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 Anne Hathaway strikes me as a, an actress who works well under, like, direction. Like, really, like, do this sort mm. of thing. So that's what the swings kind of feel. Because it does feel like James Gray's movies feel loose. Too loose. Um, yeah, but like it's it's weird that this movie should feel loose because it's a moment in time. It takes place over the course of like a, a few weeks, maybe a, a month or two, maybe. Um, yeah, because it starts, it stays entirely in fall. It ends nothing's with happening. The I mean, my, I mean, the, so this is going to sound weird, but I often say weird stuff like this on the on this podcast. Like I have one of my one of the things that I think is most illustrative of the problems of this movie is that in the very beginning of the movie and the very end of the movie, there's a tag of Armageddon time like spray painted tag. You know what I mean? Mm. And I was like, that's very era appropriate is to have that. You know what there isn't any of in this movie? Graffiti. No one's doing any graffitiing. So this movie, it, it becomes like just a pastiche of like ideas about the 80s. Yeah, it's, it's super clean. And looking. something that I really hate, and I would love to get your comments on this, something that I fucking hate is when people directors, writers, whatever, look at the past through the lens of the present. There's no way that, like, the Mary Trump speech and that, like, Fred Trump just, like, standing in the hallway like a fucking asshole would mean anything to anybody in 1980. No, it wouldn't. But, like, we're made to feel like they're just, like, Trump. No. And it's like, what? Trump is here? Shit, man. Like, I hate that stuff. No, like, keep it about Reagan. Right. Keep like, it about, Armageddon like... Armageddon time. Oh, it's Reagan's gonna start a nuclear war and Trump. It's like, that's... What the... F- I just hate that yeah, stuff. Let's, let's it's look so at, let's, lazy. I can't even look at Fred Trump and, like, what was Fred Trump known for in 1980? Nothing. Zoom, right? I mean, he was just a guy, right? 
He was just a shitty New York real estate mogul. Yeah, he had a bunch of like lawsuits against him during the times and whatnot. But like, he was a nothing. He was a nothing. But like, like Trump was a nothing. But two thousand five, like Trump had ran for like two seconds in two thousand. Mm-hmm. But by two thousand five, he was the uh, apprentice guy. Right, and then everyone, like everyone, but that's and everyone was happy. Yeah, with like that. don't. And it just seems so weird that he would take like he would take this awareness of like the future. Just, and try to the, stick it into a movie well, about think, 1980. I think, I think he's trying to do this thing of like looking back and like because you know he had that actual experience that, but it's like it doesn't work because like just keep it in that moment. But, so and you could modernize yes. it by making Reagan look like or, uh, a, a cop and like the, the racism yep. and, and the the social dissonance look like of the 80s to kind of like frame it in a way that it is the same as now that but, you can make Reagan. Look like a Trump because they're the fucking same person. Or the Swiss cheese, the hollowness to that exact point. If you're going to do it, it has to be attached to something. It can't just emotionally. It can't just be Trump. Huh? Huh? Yeah. Huh? Exactly. Because that's what it does. And that's what that whole Jessica Chastain speech, which is fucking vomit-inducingly stupid, like, is about. Like, it's literally just saying, like, Oh, I someone said the word Trump five times, and now I'm just gonna see if like it gets a response out of you. Like, how are we so fucked as a nation that like someone even saying Trump makes you go? Ugh. I mean, it does. It makes me feel shitty, but like, it has nothing to do with this movie. No, nothing. So it why actually, is it there? It made me feel nothing. I was just like, it kind of just made me like it well, took me out of the movie no. because I was just like, this is if somebody I meet, if somebody when I'm working at my job comes up to me and they're like, you know who's a good dad, Donald Trump? I'm just like, well, that makes me feel weird inside. Oh, for sure. But in this movie, I'm just like, that's really lazy. Yeah. You know what? Uh, yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, I do have to say one one last thing about this film. Say it. So, I know we have a worst movies of the year list. This movie would not show up on that. Mm-hmm. But I wish we had a worse scores of the year list mm-hmm. because that Christopher Spielman score is fucking horrendous. What did you not like about it? It's just like it's strings. It was like the laziness of the strings. I don't know. It maybe it, it, it like you're saying, like 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 where you said, kind of like it feels at times this movie's lazy from the direction standpoint. Like the string score at points mm-hmm. just felt exemplified that. I 100 agree with bull- you. Because I was, I was, you know, I, I, I know you love his score, but I hate Gustavo Santillano's scores. Oh, yeah. Totally. Like, I, I fucking, I, I don't, I mostly don't like Brokeback Mountain for two reasons. Too many establishing shots, because I think Ang Lee's just loves being like, here we are, still in the mountains. Does it with all of his other movies and that score. Well, and, because every time there's an establishing shot of the mountains, it comes with a G chord. The same G yeah. chord every time. But I don't know, to be fair to Gustavo Santiago is that I, he is from Argentina. I love a couple of his actual records and like hearing it in a movie made me happy. And he's, he's good creating the score of the moment. Well, I mean, his score doesn't work. I mean, it works for Brokeback Mountain. It does. It works it does. the first couple of times, but every time they hit Doom Mountain, well, it's, it's, not, like, his, it's not his fault. Dun, dun, dun. It's not really his fault. I know, but they do it every fault. time. Right. Um, his score doesn't work for... Syriana. But nothing really works for Syriana. That's Syriana he did, right? Well, he did 21 grams. He did a lot of that in a Ritu stuff. Not not Syriana. Sorry, it's Babel I'm thinking of. Babel's a big mess. 
I mix Syriana and Babel up constantly. I don't know how. But uh, yeah, because Babel, they're Babel. all in the desert. Yeah. Um, but, like, at least, like, his, he's working. Mm-hmm. This score isn't doing jack shit. Yeah, it, well, it's doing jack shit in the sense that it, it transitions from strings to, like, piano and, like, without theme. Like no. the entire time, I'm just like, just pick a thing. And it never hits like the emotion of the moment. At it all. also doesn't hit the time at all. So they're like, Sugar Hill Gang, you guys go see the Sugar Hill Gang. Sugar Hill Gang, we're gonna buy a record. We're gonna listen to Sugar Hill Gang. You can have a, the score have a little hip hop in it, have a little inflection yeah. of hip hop in it. What the fuck? There's some movies that rewatch that have some hip hop in them that you wouldn't expect. The ending score of our last movie, the ending song of our last movie is kind of hip hoppy. I guess so. Yeah. There's no lyrics, but it's definitely like a hip hop. Um, there's, there's no lyrics in that, right? If I remember right, it's I just, don't think so. Yeah, I thought you were going to mention. I thought there was some hip hop in this next movie. And oh I was like, no, where? <laughs> there should have been. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Uh, the course, of the next film we're talking about is the fourth film feature film. Is that from? It? It's only four. Yeah, uh, from Irish director and writer and playwright. And person who showed up, it's seven seven psychopaths didn't make my list, right? No, it's it was it was in your fifty. No, it was in your one hundred five. Yeah, right. So two time pivotal film list recipient Martin McDonald. It is the Banshees of Inishire. If you don't stop talking to me, Colin, and if you don't stop bothering me, I have a set of shears at home, and each time you bother me from this day on, I'll take those shears, and I'll take one of my fingers off with them, and I'll give that finger to you until I have no fingers left. Does this make things clearer to you? Not really, no. Starting from now. But shush like, Polly. You know, shush like. Yeah, I'd shush like. Would you not want him to have to do the one finger to see if he was bluffing like? No, we wouldn't. Because worse comes to worse, so you can still play the fiddle with four fingers, I bet you. Going back to your own gang now, Parik. I'm talking to me! Are you? Why aren't you talking to Parik no more? That wouldn't be a sin now, would it, Father? No, but it's not very nice either, is it? Do you know who we remember for how nice they was in the 17th century? Who? Absolutely no one. Yeah, we all remember the music at the time. Everyone to a man knows Mozart's name. I don't, so there goes that theory. Can't be waiting around for any more of this madness. Let's just call it quits. We won't call it quits. We'll call it the start. In early 1920s Ireland, uh, off the coast of Ireland, on uh, the fictional isle of Inishirin. I'm going to say that wrong. Inishirin. Yeah, I'm just going to say that island. Um, during the Irish Civil War, Calm and Patrick are, are best buds. Every day at 2 o'clock, they go to the pub where they drink away the night. It looks awesome. Presumably an idle awesome. conversation. Yeah, it does. It does seem like Chat. that. Yeah, nice chat. normal chat. But Calm apparently is not enjoying the chat because he's been going through, uh, we could assume for a period of time, a major despair, a major depressive state. 
Um, he is thinking constantly of his mortality, and he's decided that his conversations with Padrick uh, have gotten uh, are wasting time because right. Padrick is kind of a dull man. He's kind mm. of boring. He just talks about <clears throat> what's in his beloved pony's uh, shit. Um, and he wants to be Jessica, Jenny, Jessica. What's it? What's the pony? Oh, Jenny. It's Jenny. Jenny. Yes. Um, he wants to be remembered uh, for something. He wants to carry on his legacy because he's writing. So he wants to write this song and focus on writing this song uh, because he's a musician, and so he focuses on the songs, the Banshees of Inertion. Um I'm going to just say the Banshees of Inertion. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to work out. Um, Patrick takes, 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 does not take well to this. He really wants to figure out and be friends with Calm because that's what he has. He lives with his sister, um, Savon. Sub, uh, Siobhan. Siobhan. Yeah, I, always, I always look at that word and go like, I know people named Siobhan, and I, it doesn't connect with my head, ever. Um, but he doesn't really have anybody else. He has friends in the town, but like Calm was his, his, his guy, buddy. his buddy, his best, best friend. And so he, he tries to get Calm back, and you know at the same time, he, he talks to Dominic, who's kind of like the town doofus, the town weirdo. Um, and Calm doesn't want it. Calm wants to focus on his songs and it keeps telling him, if you keep doing this, I'm going to start cutting off my fingers. And Patrick keeps going and pushing and, you know, Calm decides because it's a Mark McDonald movie. You have to have your moments of good violence to cut off his fingers. Um, this back and forth kind of continues. Uh, Siobhan has, who's kind of. She's that, educated. Educated, but also like the town at cast because she's so educated. But also um, unmarried. Unmarried. Yep. And, and getting older. Um, Which is she's all getting, of what, like 27? Uh, is she supposed to be like 20? Does it say how old she is? I don't know. I just assume. Because Carrie Condon's like. She's 39. In her, in her so late 30s. Maybe but she's I assume she's supposed to be like. Mid 30s. Mid 30s, yeah. Because yeah. her parents have been dead for like nine years. So I figured like she's probably mid 30s. It's fine. Um, she's got an offer to go work on a library in the mainland. Um, you know, she takes up that offer, so she leaves, and uh, Padrick, who's been pushing Calm and kind of like becoming more and more stressed and distraught, uh, eventually Calm cuts off all of his fingers and throws it, and Jenny, the beloved pony of, of, of Padrick, chokes on it and dies, um, and that is kind of the last straw that Patrick decides, like, me and you now are mortal enemies. I'm going to burn down your house with you in it. Um, and he, he does so. Uh, but Patrick kind of runs off and say, you know, decides he wants to live. We, we think maybe he doesn't. Um, and they, the film ends uh, with the two of them sitting on the kind of the beach. They're, they're still going to be sworn enemies. But, you know, Patrick does save the dog because it's the only good thing about Calm, he says. And, you know, he says any time. So... Yeah, and there's there's a lot of our stuff going on with Dominic, uh, who's being sexually and physically abused by. We could assume sexually abused by his father. Yeah, because because Patrick does say diddle. Yeah, um, he's kind of the town idiot, but really it's just a product of. We could assume maybe slightly autistic, but also he's also probably like it's if if it is. He's also traumatized. He's also like, super into, like, tra- he has PTSD. Yeah. Right. Um, we have his story of him trying to definitely being socially extremely socially awkward because of his PTSD, um, and eventually he he commits suicide. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of balls in the air with this film. Uh, 
In Bruges is still my favorite Martin McDonald movie. This is his best movie. Easily. Easily. By far his best film. Easily. Like. Can I say, because you asked me what I think, and I'm, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, and I'll just say what I think. It's one of those movies that's so good. You know how when you look at the sight and sound list, and I'm not saying that this movie should be on like the 2032 sight and sound list. You know when you look at the sight and sound list, or I know when I do, I'm just like, that movie is kind of like, I don't even worry about that movie. Because no. I know what it is, and I know it's good. And, you know, whatever, good doesn't even matter anymore. We've had this conversation, I think, about the Beatles. You're just, you know, remember you like said, like, I hate the Beatles. And I was like, it doesn't even matter if you hate well, the no, Beatles. Well, no, I said I don't like the Beatles, but, like, even I admitted, like, it doesn't the, matter. Exactly. It, I'm, not gonna, I'm not calling the Beatles a bad band. I'm just saying a lot, most of their music isn't for me. The reason I think I didn't respond more usively to this movie is because it's like kind of perfect. Like yeah, it doesn't really seem to need there's nothing to like even think about it. There's 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 nothing I would change about this film. It's it's it literally so it's interesting that even we, like the Carter Burwell score, like I'm never like typically in love with Carter Burwell stuff, but like his I think the score is his, is, his stuff, it works. It does and it's 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 simple. It's not. It's not ostentatious at all. It's not even. Doesn't even seem to like work all the time. But like it. It kind of does. Um, if it doesn't work, if it, when it doesn't, maybe slightly not work. It doesn't matter. It's suggesting. It's more suggesting something than stating anything. And so that's a, what you run into with a lot of scores is that they'll state what the emotion should be in like, you know, scene X or whatever. And this movie. When I say, I mentioned in Armageddon time, there's no theme. This movie has a theme, and the theme is complicated because it doesn't. It sounds. It starts. The theme starts happy, and then it ends on this kind of like. It's very down basic. note. Yeah, down note. And, and this base, is and very this is what relates to the Tar conversation, like the big scene in, in the beginning of Tar too, where she's like, it starts as a question, and then it answers, and then it becomes another question, and that's what this that's what this score does. Like it starts as one thing, and then and then kind of falls it's really interesting i think this in its metaphors are perfect it's um it's it does it does it grapples toxic masculinity and kind of like discusses kind of the fallouts of the irish it's most i i I more took this is how war happens between friends like this is how civil war happens because two sides decide one side decides like you didn't. You're not interesting enough, sort of, or yes. you're not doing the right things. It's which James Gray should figure out how a fucking metaphor works because it takes the war and uses it as a metaphor. It's an obvious metaphor on the surface for what's going on between Patrick and and Colm. Very obvious, you know. What I mean, they're two friends, best friends. You know, they're stuck on this island together, so they really don't have any choices here. Um, just like the Catholics and the Protestants in, on, on Ireland in Ireland. Um, and they're kind of at war with each other. Um, they don't, one of them doesn't understand it. You know what I mean? The other one thinks he understands it, but he doesn't really understand it. Um, so it's not about the war at all. The war is just kind of like an underlining or like a buttressing of like the emotional core of this movie. Um, which is, so you said it in your, in your description, you're like, oh, they, they end as mortal enemies. I don't think they end as mortal enemies. I think they end as better friends because. But they're still going to, I think they're still going to be fighting. I don't, so I don't think they will be fighting. I think 
I think Patrick has become not interested because Colm thinks he wants him to be interesting. And I think what he really wants him to be, and he doesn't know that he wants him to be this, is deep. Well, I, and I think- now Patrick is, has experienced all these new emotions. And so when he's like, you know, um, thanks for watching my dog. And, and, and I, I'm going to stop talking after this. Um, the face and the intonation that Colin Farrell delivers when he says, anytime is like murderous. He fucking kills it because it's serious. He, it's, it's Confused. angry, but he means it. And confused. But too. it's also, but it's also like loving. Like yeah. you know that he could bring this dog around anytime. He has grown as a person like immeasurably. Yeah. And, you, and he just conveys it with his face. See, I don't, I don't necessarily, the one thing I'll disagree, and I agree with that that part, but I, I, one thing I, I, I disagree with is I think Calm's frustration with Patrick is more um, a, a displacement, a projection yes, of his own insecurities yep. and his own fears. He's worried that he's not deep and he's boring. Yep. And so he needs to find a scapegoat for that yep. and does that. Um I don't know if I've seen a movie though where the four main lead performances have been like all so easily on fucking fire. Now, I remember I asked you this, like with the Barry Keogh thing. And I answered you in my mind, but I forgot to text you back. In context, I love him. Okay. But out of con like in the wrong context, he's terrible. I mean he's not a, he wasn't a good joker for like that five minutes. No, but he's but great he's in he's fucking destroys this. Carrie Condon destroys this, Brendan Gleason destroys this, Colin Farrell destroys this. <sighs> Like, mm-hmm. I can't see, like, these, they're all shot up to, like, the top of my list for all all of that here. Because, like, everything, like, it's just, like I said, there's not, what's there to talk about? Everything about this is pitch perfect. Isn't that how it feels? Like, there's just not a lot just to like, say. Oh, yeah. Because even when you're watching it, you're like, that's right. That's it was crazy, correct. too. This movie's almost two hours. It felt like 70 minutes to me. But I also felt like I could have spent another couple hours just like in this world oh no absolutely that's why i said it felt like 70 yeah, minutes yeah, to me yeah. because like when it i was like oh that's i was like this feels like an ending but it has because it, 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 it like on the beach i'm like this feels like an ending and all of a sudden it ends and i'm like it's been two hours and i'll say this too in relation to the movie we're going to talk about next this movie has critical scenes big big scenes that don't feel big but they're big in the context of the movie that land yeah that scene where he's talking about, like, my parents were nice and I'll remember them forever. Like, I'm going to cry, like, just talking about it. It fucking lands. It lands with emotionally. It lands with jokes. You know what I mean? It lands with stakes. It lands what does this mean now for, like, the threat has already been issued? What does this speech mean for the thing that Brendan Gleeson has threatened to do? It lands it's, visually because, like, Brendan, because, you know, calm Brendan Gleeson says, uh, nobody's ever known for being nice. And there's a picture of Christ. <laughs> <laughs> behind Colin Farrell? Yeah. Or is it behind Colin? It's behind one of them. But don't you feel like... But like, it, they say that and, like, it's it's a good visual joke from Martin McDonald. I love the juxtaposition of um, Three Billboards versus this movie, too, because this movie is so easy. It seemed like it was so easy to make, where Three Billboards seemed so hard. But I love Three Billboards, but it seems well, so difficult. You know and what this it is. Seems so, just so, like, this seems so effortless. Because I think Martin McDonald still... I think Martin McDonald's effortless in like having seen Pillow Man, having seen some of the the inner shirt or read some of the inner shirt stuff that he's done before. Mm-hmm. He fucking knows how to do 
Irish problems. He knows Irish culture, knows Irish society, knows the the things that kind of like fit and matter there, mm. or at least from an American perspective. Like, obviously, I can't speak to that. If I know that. I think the thing with three billboards is obviously, and that was he's trying to point. He's trying to like hit. He's trying to like talk about American problems as you know a person who's lived in America for like twenty. But again, that years. was that was I think the point of three billboards, which nobody got. They were like, it's an outsider's view, so it's wrong. It's like no, it's an outsider's view, so it's perceiving hard anger, and it's saying you should be angrier about this stuff. Oh yeah, and I think I th- I've rewatched three billboards because I think I was like I wasn't super negative. I wasn't negative about it when I watched. Well, this was before the podcast, right? This twenty seventeen. Yeah. So I wasn't I wish negative. We had, it's one of the movies I wish we yeah. had the podcast to do. Or and the Shape of Water because that would have been a fun review. Um, <laughs> people God. like our people like our negative reviews of well received movies. That movie. I just I think it's mid. Um, if, if you watch it again, you'll also hate it. No, I watched it again. I still think it's, I think it's just mid. I, I I think Sally Hawkins is doing she's great good work and the production design is fantastic. Like if you I like think, the Hellboy yeah, three. So I'm I'm just I'm, so that's what I'm on board with. Was like and that, Michael and Shannon, Michael is Shannon, yeah, and Stolberg and whatnot. So I think I think there's enough going for it to me just to call it mid. <laughs> God, it was so mid upsetting. by the way is Gen Z talk for average. <laughs> you aligning yourself with Gen Z? Yeah, why not? They're they're the what's your TikTok handle, Mario? I don't do TikTok, but I do watch TikToks, but I don't have a TikTok because I don't support China. Um, the Chinese government, not China. I've, the only TikTok <laughs> I've ever seen in my life is on the SNL parodies. I watch a lot of Twitter. so mm. right, I watch a lot of Twitch. So I feel like right. There you go. I'm close with, I don't really do any Twitter. Anyhow, no, um, just going back to it. I just think, yeah, I think this, it's, it's a hard movie to review. And, uh, but coming back to Three Billboards, I was too harsh on it. But watching it now, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's my least favorite because it's the one that doesn't feel easy. Mm. Like, I think Seven Psychopaths in Bruges, especially this, all feel so effortless. Because I think Martin McDonald, just the guy's a fucking writer. He knows how to do it. Yeah. You know, Pillow Man's the greatest modern play that I've, of, of all the ones I've seen mm-hmm. and whatever of, of like the past like 30 or 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think three billboards is the one that's like a little hard and has like a little bit of like bumps. But I love three billboard too, because it, I remember being in the pivotal film studios for some kind of event. And I was talking to a friend of the podcast, Jordan about it. Pivotal maybe film for the Oscars, maybe for the Oscars. We were, were at side street. No, we were here. We we're at the pivotal film studios. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, the Pivotal uh, Studios viewing theater. Yes. And we were watching. On our 10,000. Not the Super. It couldn't have been the Super. Well, it must have been the Oscars. Where we were just like settling into watch. Yeah, it was the Oscars. I think so. And we were just, we were having like a really long conversation about like all the stuff like surrounding three billboards. And the idea that you can have these different kind of views on, totally different views on this film, I thought was like one of the successes of the film. Yeah. Even if you didn't like it, there was so much there to interpret and to like kind of rage against or or um, support. And then you guys argued about Shape of Water. I do remember that. She's a good egg. She, she did like Shape of Water, though. She did. And I don't, my grandmother liked Shape of Water. <laughs> I don't blame anybody for liking Shape of Water. I get it. And it's, it's very weird and it's cool that it won all the stuff and I'm happy for him. But like it... I think we just, I think we expect too much of Guillermo del Toro. Well, and I'm hoping that Pinocchio is just an evil fucking, like, a pile of awesomeness and that we I, can. Looking at it visually, I think it's. I think so to too. 
And I'm, I'm hoping that we'll get back to like but classic yeah, Del Toro. I mean, this review kind of stinks because like it's just so fucking. It's it's easily like my one of my most easily recommended movies I've done. Oh my god! In terms of like Portrait of a Lady on Fire, obviously some people aren't going to find great. On the count of three from this year, probably shouldn't say that because it's going to give a lot away. Um, a lot of people are going to find pretty hard. Uh, this I think everybody. You might not have a fun time with it, but everyone that sees this, I think, is going to well because it's dig it. But why? Because it's got people you like in it doing awesome stuff. Yeah, and the sad moments are always punctuated and by they, humor. Yes, um, and, they're, and they feel really sad. They're not cheap. They're not like fucking Armageddon time. And I don't mean to take shots at Armageddon time. It's an honest movie, but it's sad. It's sad moments are cheap. The sad moments in this movie are not cheap. They are earned, and they are and they are paid off. Like Later him in the fucking film. petting Jenny at the kitchen table, but like it, it's it's not clearly a puppet. But it's and I'm not, like ah, it's not so obvious in the beginning of the movie that like Jenny. Oh, I knew, I knew, I knew that, I knew that pony was like, dead. But like, but but uh, what I didn't expect, and I was kind of upset like seeing in the beginning because I was like ah, oh, something's gonna happen, or Calm's gonna kill that pony. Oh, you did, and the fact that, and the fact that Calm completely by accident, no ill intent, except against himself. Because all of his stuff against himself is... It's all for himself. It's he's, all... He's it's, doing it's it to he's himself. himself. He's masculine. He he's, just he's destroying wants, himself. But he says at the end of the movie, and that's why this movie is a, is a genius fucking screenplay. It just takes one line, like, it's actually a relief to me, like, that he cut off all his own fingers. He's... he's, he's he wanted... I don't even... We would, we would have to have a separate podcast about trying to figure out, like, what he what his goal was. Oh, and but I believe he had a goal. Like I believe that there was something inside of him that like we couldn't know that he couldn't really know until he did it that cutting off his own figures satisfied for himself about his music, uh, about like whatever. I think I personally think and I'm let's talk about it a little bit. Why don't we talk about it right now? I personally think that is he like kind of like you said, he yes. knew that his thing about music that like I want to do something that I will be remembered for was um, not an honest st- was not an honest statement and that cutting off his fingers removed the opportunity to feel that way and so he forced himself to feel something else and I think there's a mirror in that and Padraig as doing what he did forced himself to grow as a person they each forced themselves to grow and that's super interesting because at no point are either of them like you know what I need to do is grow as a person. Yeah. The one line that also, there's there's something that I love about Martin McDonald too that hits like from the people I talk to who are Irish, who are Irish mm-hmm. that's been inconsistent is like the leaving of the Irish Catholic Church and mm. whatnot. Mm. And the line where um, um, talks about like, let's try to talk about like, do confession. Yeah. Right? And, and, the priest wants to focus on the self-mutilation, yep. obviously. And Calm wants to focus on the fact that he killed Jenny. Yep. And the priest goes, do you think God gives a fuck about miniature ponies? And, um, you know, Calm says, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't think so. And that's the problem. Yeah. And that's, or whatever. That's, that's paraphrasing it. I think was just like hit. Oh my God. From everyone I've talked to who's like left the Irish Catholic, like left the Irish Catholic church. Hits like the tone exact in so oh few my God. words yeah. of just like, oh yeah, that's like the 
But like, I think this movie's doing so fucking much, but doing it so easy. It's so frustrating. I, I, As a person who like Mario, would want to be a writer, yes, or whatnot. Also, like, just like going like, ah, oh, god, all I can do is cheap shit. It's frustrating as a movie. In the best way, obviously. Absolutely, because I just, I want, I can't say enough about how good this movie is. And part of the reason I can't say enough about this movie is, about how good this movie is, is because it's hard to articulate, like, perfection. You know what I mean? Like, this is going to, all this, everything I'm going to say right now is going to sound stupid. But, like, when you look at, like, Van Gogh's Starry Night, why is it good? Why is it like what it is, or a Jackson Pollock painting, or a Goya painting, or like whatever? There's like a, like a whole there's like whole books written about like why something is good or or not good. Yeah, I could give you like a hundred different reasons why this movie is 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 perfect and good. I think, but none of them really kind of they don't sound right to me coming out of my mouth. You just have to see it. Yeah, I think I think the only a, thing the only thing I could say is effortless intentionality. Yeah, but I mean, I, I'd figure Van Gogh, I figure McDonald, I figure Pollock, ha- and I'm, especially I mean, Pollock did has an intentionality to what they're doing, but it feels so easy. And I don't even mean to like compare them as like works of art. I just mean that like they're it's hard to describe what's so good about them. Like Sergeant Pepper's. When you listen to Sergeant Pepper's, you're like, I guess, but like you know when you hear it that it's different than everything. You know what I mean? And so, like, when we're looking, and so I don't know if I don't this know is the album, so I have to look up. The song <laughs> see if I agree. I don't know. Well, that's the thing about Sgt. Pepper. There's no singles on it. It's like a day in the life, you know. Um, Lucy and this guy. Lucy and this. But those things are like, they're like, they're classic Beatles songs, but in the context of like everything else, they're like deep cuts. They weren't number one. Um, they got like lovely Rita and Within You, Without You. I'm a big fan of this album. No, but that's a lot of people are not a big fan. It's not about being a fan. It's about recognition of what oh, is. Yeah, it's because it's all and intention. So, but that's the whole yeah. part. That's the whole problem with talking about this movie is that it's a recognition of what is. It's hard to describe what makes it good because everything about it is good. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's just what it's, it's, it's soul is good. It's composition is good. It's narrative is good. I think the easiest way to say it is it's like eminently watchable but it's it's that too right yeah it's not just eminently watchable it's eminently watchable but also probably the legitimately the best movie you're gonna see all year i don't know if it's gonna be my number one it's not yeah it's not gonna be my number one but it's but i think that's part of it one of the things that's playing against it is that it's 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 it functions at such a high level that it feels that it's hard less for me to, personal yes Put it fucking up. Gold star, Mario. That is it. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like me and my me and Nicolette kind of felt that way too when we were watching it. It was just like, this is just good. Like it's... I did. Okay. Uh, she's fine. Um, I think we both kind of felt the same thing when we saw it. Like, it's hard to own it because it's so itself and it's so full, fully developed and aware of itself. It's just... But which makes it special, you know what I mean? Um, I think all of these things, if we wanted to, transition really well into like confronting. Yeah, absolutely. The, what the is beast. the beast that is Todd Field's directorial return? Tar. You want to dance the mask? You must service the composer. 
If you're here, then you already know who she is. Lydia Tarr is many things. As a conductor, Tarr began her career with the Cleveland Orchestra, Chicago Symphony Orchestra, the Boston Symphony Orchestra, until she had last arrived here at our own New York Philharmonic. In 2013, Berlin elected Tarr as its principal conductor, and she's remained there ever since. Lydia Tarr has also written music for the stage and screen. She is one of only 15 EGOTs, meaning those who have won all four major entertainment awards. Thank you for joining us, Maestro. Thank you. How's the writing going? Not so well. I keep hearing something. Schopenhauer measured a man's intelligence against his sensitivity to noise. Do you ever find yourself overwhelmed by emotion? Yes. Yes, it does happen. You're going to play the trailer on your phone and pull it up to the mic? No, I just played it there. Um, Lydia Tarr, played by Kate Blanchett, is the conductor of the Berlin Philharmonic. She is a Student of Leonard Bernstein, she has a program called the Accordion Project, the Accordion something? Yeah, something like that. Something like that, um, that um, supports female or women conductors. Uh, she is married to the first chair violinist in her orchestra, or not married, she's in a relationship with the first chair uh, violinist in her they're, orchestra. They're married. I, Are they, I, was, I wasn't sure if they were like I got the married. idea that they're married. Okay. Um, played by Nina Haas. Um, she's an assistant. Uh, Francesca, played by uh, Noemi Merlon. Um, came out of that program, the accordion program, along with Krista Davis. Taylor. Taylor. Who is unseen in this movie. Well, she's seen twice uh, in the opening the opening scene there when he's she's talking to Anthony Gopnik. Gopnik? David Remnick? Anthony, yeah, Gopnik. Anthony Gopnik. Yeah. From the New Yorker. Adam Gopnik. Adam Gopnik. Um, as the movie progresses, um, find out that Lydia has some accusations made against Lydia regarding... Um, some inappropriate relationships with some of her students, some grooming, um, some harassment, some, uh, you know, Is whatever. Is grooming necessarily? I think so, yeah. Wouldn't it be? I think it's an abuse of power less than groom because grooming would suggest they were, like, teenagers or younger. Like, these women seem like they're, like, they do. 22, 23-ish. But there's definitely, like, a... An element of her, like, preparing them for, like, whatever the life, whatever lifestyle yeah, she so. asked them for. And so it, she says at one point, like, uh, you know, we, you know, uh, Francesca and uh, Lydia are having a conversation after, after they find out that Krista has taken her own life, um, that they were really close until Krista started making demands. Um, and those demands don't seem to be related to her placement as a conductor or with an orchestra, it seems like she was perfectly willing to make those placements for her 
it seems like they were relationship things. You know what I mean? Like Krista wanted more from Lydia than Lydia was willing to give to Krista. Yeah. Um, I think in the course of our conversation, we'll kind of talk about where this movie ends up. Um, and it's like some of the nature of the, the plot, but that's, that's the, the plot in and of itself. Um, that's like the, the, the framework. Um, I got a chance to see this movie. Did you just watch it once? Twice. So I saw it twice too. I saw it once in theaters and I saw it once cause just all of a sudden was released on VOD. I'm assuming cause it's not making any money. Um, yeah, like I was, so I was going to do a double feature of this on Sunday, but unfortunately, Banshee's, I was going to do like Banshee's the Insurance at 450 or 440 and then see Tar right afterwards. Yeah. Um, but then unfortunately, Banshee's the Insurance got out like 30 minutes before and I expected it. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go home. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. I was also like, I might not give Tar the consideration it needs after Banshee's. Mm. That's probably a smart move, yeah. I think I... I think they're different enough to where I would have been able to do it. And I kind of do wish I'd seen this on the big screen. Mm. I still might go back to it. It's still, it's still out. Complicated yeah. feelings about this. I really do too, Mario. Although they're, they got clarified a little bit in well, my text message to you about the click track thing. <laughs> no, no, no. In, in watching it at home, I had very complicated feelings the first viewing. Um, I don't know. I, I don't, didn't even know if it was good the first I don't, time I saw it. I, I don't know if I like it. The I set, don't know if I dislike well, the, it. So either. we're talking about we're talking about two different things here. And I'm I'm gonna get to like okay. Okay. at some point. My first viewing, I was like, I'm not even sure this works. Yeah, no, the same. The second viewing, I was like, oh, it definitely works, but I'm not sure how interesting it is. And I'm not sure how much I like anything that's happening here. Not even like it's like making me feel good or like having positive messages or anything like this. It's just like, I'm not sure this is like necessary. Yeah. I'm not sure what the point of this is. And get it. I, I understand like what's happening in it upon second viewing. I get because it's um, unlike Armageddon time. There's a lot of like every time we say Armageddon, I think you're just gonna stop there. Armageddon. Unlike Armageddon. Armageddon. Well, they work. What I'm gonna say works. Is <laughs> um, unlike Armageddon and Armageddon Time. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot suggested here. We don't see a lot of a lot of things happening. There's a, a lot of the drama takes place off screen. You know what I mean? A lot of like the sexual um, drama takes place off screen. You know what I mean? So like very early in the film, she does that talk for the New Yorker. And then the first scene after that is her kind of flirting with a woman in uh, like an after party. Yeah. She has dinner with Mark. She has like lunch with Mark Strong. She goes back to her hotel, tries on pants, plays a piano. She says she's going to go to bed early. She can never create something herself, interestingly enough. Right. Although she's, it seems like from the talk that he, you know, from the description of her career, it seems like she has. She just isn't now. I guess that's part of like part of the so you know we've had a bunch of movies that we've liked and disliked and that have been very obvious and we may do another hour and a half here just trying to figure yeah. out what the fuck is going on, um, but then the scene after that is in a car and she has the handbag that the woman that she was flirting with had, you know what I mean? Suggesting that she went out with this woman and then ended up with like the woman gave her her handbag, right? 
The woman. I, I didn't even notice the handbag. The woman said she could text her. But, well, because right. Sharon says when she gets back to Germany, Sharon's like, oh, you have a new handbag. And she's like, Elliot gave it to me, who is Mark, Mark Strong's character. And Elliot definitely didn't give her a handbag. And so then Sharon's like, oh, I tried to call you at your on your phone, and I tried to call you at your hotel. And she's like, I must have been sleeping. And she's like, you never sleep. And she's like, don't be, um, uh, not a nag. She said, don't be a something. Um, so she clearly had sex with that woman. Clearly. None of it is ever stated, ever. No, most, is, of this, most of this movie takes place off screen. Exactly. And that's cool. I guess. I, right? Yeah, I don't know. Is it cool? So, so we're t- you're talking to somebody who has, you know, both of Todd Field's movies either in his pivotal film list or in his 150. I love In the Bedroom and... Uh, we talked about Little, we talked about little we talked Children. About little children yeah. You can go back to episode whatever that was. Um, you have, There's a website for it that you can see what number it is. I'm not going <laughs> to... Um, yeah. I have complicated feelings about this because it's so, at times dense mm. in its beginning especially like am got the am new yorker conversation is is droll at points because it's so it is it that and the stuff with like the npr stuff is like a lot of a lot of this beginning part is so heavy into like the music theory aspect well then and this, into everything and then that and second it, scene with the like the conducting class yeah those two scenes are just in the first 20 minutes of the movie and and that's my thing with this movie is like this, like having been a big Todd Field guy, like in the bedroom adaptation of a book, if I remember correctly, maybe I think so. Um, and Little Children, both are pretty decently straightforward. It's a yeah, it is an adaptation of a short story. Um, straightforward kind of films. Yeah, there's all like Todd Field comes back after 16 years to do this and cares a lot about this. Like this is a director writer doing a shit ton of work, a lot of heavy work, a lot of interesting, unique choices. I love that word. It feels compositionally interesting. Yeah. But I just don't know why. Does it mean? Yes. A lot. Does it pay off? Like, do, do you feel? Well, what's it, what I find, what I yeah, find yeah, the yeah, most yeah. spectacularly interesting about this movie. Yep. Like, for one thing, uh, easy thing. Kate Blanchett's fucking terrific in this. Yeah, of course, all the talk. And she's yeah, but like, like it's because we can talk about that the too. Thing, the thing that's interesting about that is like she's not doing a lot in this. Is unless she's doing a ton. But she's doing. She's not doing a lot. But she's doing all the. If her performance doesn't work, I think. This movie, we don't have this conversation. We don't have this conflicted opinion about it. Mm. We kind of just go like, "This is an experimental thing from a director who's coming back, and it just didn't work." But who would? So I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you. The fuck the the woman bronze star. The woman I (laughs) black no no black star. The woman I kept putting in this role was black star was a good album. Obviously, Tilda Swinton, like is is being kind of like conveyed somewhere in in this you know i mean i just think the severity of of the performance you think so i think so the way she carries herself i don't know so but like so that makes there's a there's a there's a there's a um there's a a kind of actor that would make there's a a kind of actor that would make sense in this role that doesn't have to be kate blanchett and it's interesting the the armageddon time this like is i just find it so compelling because like what if anne hathaway had played lydia tarr you know what I mean? A good word. 
But like, how does it work? Well, so this is what's interesting to me about this movie, about my takeaway from this movie. Yes. And I'm glad we didn't review other movies today because this is going to be a controversial opinion. Mm. I, I feel real bad for Lydia Tarr in this. Like, she does some shitty, awful things from in terms of like a, a group, uh, from a sexual, like sexual harassment standpoint. But for some reason, like watch this movie, I'm like, oh, the things that happened to her are a little too much. And I, I, I walked away from that movie going like, hmm, did Todd Field mean that? Because I, I think I love that Juilliard scene with that kid. Because I think it is the one time where you ever get like, it sounds like old man yelling at the clouds about cancel sure, culture. Yeah. That absolutely works. Because like, what is, what's, who's he, uh, Bach? He refuses well, to, yeah, because he's doing like, the same. Does, does Bach even have like big criticism against yeah, him? Does absolutely, he? yes. Okay. Um, but that's, a, but, so this but is it but seems, perfect. Because, but it, but it kind of fit, it fits that because yes. in the end I'm just like, oh, so she's, she is a, a, a tremendously amazing conductor who but, is, Who's, who's a genius of it. I didn't mean to hold up my hand. No, no, no. I, I, want to, I want to shut up so you can uh, talk. I'm sorry. Who, who, who is bringing something to the world. Yep. She has her own... She personally has a human... She's a piece of... She has a complicated piece of shit tendencies, mm-hmm. obviously. I mean, changing her name from Linda to Lydia. Um, but she's presented as such a force du jour sort of thing. Um, that's not the right term. Force, force of the day. Force majeure. Yeah. yeah majeure. Yeah. Um, that uh, you, you feel bad about that kind of like loss in the ending. Although, you know, if she had made her own video game music, maybe that wouldn't be so bad as a video game guy. Um, and I, I, I don't know if that was the intent. I don't know if the intent was almost like, if that was the intent. And if it is, like it does work. But like, I just... Did Todd, does Todd Field have that complicated opinions about what's going on in the world right now? Well, so now? here's what I would like, say. What the, what, why is this? I just don't know why this movie exists. And I haven't read any articles or I interviews with Todd Field because I just don't, I don't want to. Mario, I did the same thing. I purposely didn't even listen to any, like, so I listen to the Big Picture podcast all the time. I purposely didn't listen next to this. Next Big Picture? Uh, the Big Picture. It's the well, Ringers movie There's also the next Big Picture. So of course there is. Um... I'm sure there's a podcast coming that's called Other Pivotal Films or like real super pivotal films. We need like a thousand listeners regularly. For that to happen. Um, This is a little bit like our conversation about Banshees where we're just having trouble kind of like talking about it because it seems so good. Well, I feel feel as though like we're almost doing a meta narrative, like a meta criticism of this and the fact that like Todd Fields does two movies within close range of each other. Yeah. Then fucking then doesn't just do disappears. But my, so my conver- so the so question- this must mean something. To it him. must. And it's I don't good. care about what it actually means to him because I need to get it from that film. But I just kind of want to talk about exactly. That's exactly what I want to talk about is I want to talk about like the film and how he's trying to process whatever it is that he's talking about. So when I was talking about Banshees, I mean, if it comes out that Todd Fields like did some shit, I'd be like, okay, that makes sense. But, um, He's just like, like, did you guys see in the bedroom? Just like Banshees, where we're kind of saying it's beyond reproach. It's hard to talk about it because it's just kind of so expertly done that it, you know, it is what it is. That's kind of how what she's saying about Bach, right? And that's what the, her mentor, 
um, Andres is saying about um, Schopenhauer. Yeah. That like these people, their work kind of, and it's kind of, you know, we were talking about Picasso a little bit earlier, not in like the conversation about like anything related to any of this stuff, but just like we just said the word Picasso because we're talking about a movie that Anthony Hopkins has Picasso's a little bit like this too. The I, I understand. De- absolutely. I just always need to mention the guy because that's my, him and Dolly are my two favorite artists. The Hannah Gadsby aspect of like the Picasso thing is real. Hannah Gatsby, she did um, so the stand-up comedy special. I can't think of the name. Oh, she's Nanette. a, she's a stand-up comedy. Yes. Okay. But she was calling out, she was like an art history major, I guess, in college, and she was calling out the idea that like she was making the same kind of argument that the guy in Tar is making. Is that like it's hard to kind of enjoy, or not even enjoy, it's hard to, hard to, it's, Find good in Picasso because he was such a fucking shithead to well, women and people. And, and this, this uh, we can bring it back to the pivotal film thing. I had American Beauty on my list forever. Ditto. And I took it off because of the Kevin Spacey stuff. Not, not because of like, oh, I can't look at Kevin Spacey and not connect it to it, but because of exactly what came out about Kevin Spacey and what mm-hmm. the premise and what that the themes of that film are I, about I, like absolutely. pursuing people who are underage. But I left it on my list. Yeah. And I took it off. Yeah. I and did. I did like the Juilliard student thing a little more for the reason of like, you know, Bach wasn't creating music about whatever the fuck. I don't, I don't look up. So Bach here's, stuff. so let's go in, let's go into the movie. Bach was, was Bach, was Bach, was, what the hell? Bach wasn't the Messiah. That was Handel. I don't know. Yeah. It is. Um, well, she make a, she, she makes a Schroeder and Lucy. Comment because, but um, no, but I just want to go into the movie. So Bach is in, in Lydia's mind. Bach and Beethoven and Mozart and all these guys are beyond like beyond what, reproach. And Schopenhauer are beyond reproach. Personally, personally, they may be reproachable. Absolutely, but their creations but are like, beyond exactly. reproach. Exactly, and that's what she's saying. Is that she's like I, which I agree with. I agree with it too. And she's like I'm I'm. Uh, which she's the term she uses is a U-Haul lesbian, and so she should. I don't know what that meant. I don't know what it means either. But she intimates that it means that she shouldn't be into. It allows her to kind of feel the same okay. way that that kid feels, but that she—that's well, a—that's a. There's a Wikipedia page about this. Okay, when she confronts Bach head oh, on, oh, they move in together. Lesbians that move in together after a short period of time. Oh, okay. They suggest an extreme inclination towards committed relationships. Please, Mario, we have to go Todd, back. Todd Field, my guy. We don't need a goddamn. Glossary for your movie. <laughs> no, but this is, I think this is part of what we're talking about is that, so she says, she says this. So, but then she says like, oh, it allows me to confront like aspects of myself. Like when I confront just the music, I can't like turn away from it, blah, 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 blah. Then she has that really interesting conversation with that cellist that she wants to sleep with, that she hires, you know. Uh, Olga. Olga. Played by an actual chair cellist. Um, who, by the way, for like a first, non-first time acting, she nails what she needs to nail. She plays that part perfectly. The stuff that they're trying to have a conversation about, like being into music and what, like, what led you to music and, and you know, all that stuff. And Olga keeps coming up with, Kate Blanchett keeps, or Lydia keeps saying, oh, yes, it was conducted by the performance conducted by so and so at such and such a thing. And Olga's like, I don't know. It was played by this person. And she's like, oh, yes. And probably, and she's like, I don't know. It was just this. Lydia has no vision. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, she's not like a... She's like... The movie seems to suggest that she is 
especially with like the transactional relationship conversation later in the movie, that she's like, and the idea that she changed her name from Linda, Linda, yeah. Linda to Lydia, that she's like a poser. You know what I mean? She knows her stuff, and she was influenced and mentored by Leonard Bernstein, but the stuff that she has um, taken into her own life, into her own personality, is the stuff she can sell, and she's left behind all... like So she's like, I choose love early in the movie. I chose love. He chose like this really complicated thing. And she's kind of like ditched... She's ditched all the complexity out of life, and she wants it to be just like very flat and very plain. And so these these grooming and I mentioned grooming earlier. I'll just kind of stick with it, just because I said it. These groomed relationships where she's like hiring these people and bring them into the fold and getting close to them. They do this traditional lunch um, type of thing. It's so it seems like there's like a routine to it. There's a ritual to like her getting close to these people is less about passion and more about just like the ritual satisfying whatever the nature of the ritual is. Um, and so that all that stuff is in there. It's definitely in there. But like to what you said, why? So that's interesting that you say that because we mentioned at the end of the movie, she puts on the headphones and I thought, and I'd read a couple people that thought that it's a click track, Mm -hmm. you know, and you had said, like, obviously, Which is the, fair. Time, the time signatures are probably going to change in the months. Because obviously, in the end, she's so ruined that she's playing in that cosplay for Monster Hunter. Not a good game, by the way. Fuck that series. It's so boring. Uh, Where she, play some more not, vampires. She's not in Japan, right? She's no, in, she's in the... Uh, she's a Thai, so it's the she's either in Thailand. Well, it's Tagalong. So Tagalong is... Well, because I know Monster Malaysia? Hunter... I know Monster Hunter is huge in Japan. No, Monster Hunter is kind of popular. In, in that whole area? Okay. If we're speaking tag along, um, she's in the Philippines. Okay. I would assume since they're. That makes tag-along. sense. Yeah. Um, Monster Hunter is pretty eminently popular. Around the world. I just remember listening to a podcast and Monster Hunter Rise came out when they were just like, so a, they gave it a day off. Like they gave people a day off in Japan to play Monster Hunter because they knew oh. it was like a Super Bowl thing where they like, they knew people weren't going to come into work. So they're just like, we'll just make it like a day where everybody has After off. this podcast, I'm going to. Dive into Pentiment. I'm excited about that. Oh, fuck. I know. I'm sad. What about Pentiment? Yeah, that I can't. I only have a Nintendo Switch. It's a PC if you have a. Meh, I don't have a good. This is my PC. Might, might, it might be able to play it because it's all. I'll look up requirements. Interesting that. But we talked about the yeah, click yeah, track yeah. aspect of it because at the beginning of the thing, she talks about time. It like, talks about the control in. of time. And this is why. Digs into it. You have to like, rewatch the, this movie. You cannot see this movie once. You have no. to rewatch it. Because there's a lot of back references and yes. everything, everything. She is a Magnus Carlsen, right? She's like a, a chess master mm. sexually in her um, in her, her composition, in her, not composition, but in her uh, conducting. Mm-hmm. It is all about control of time and control of the situation, but it's not about creation. Never. It's never, and that's why I'm wondering, like, when she's fiddling with the piano, she's not, she doesn't ever create a music. No. She's not calm, who actually creates a fun little, not mandolin, because that's actually what. Violin. A violin. Violin fiddle? fiddle? Yeah. One of those. Um, 
I get mandolin stuck in my head because Brendan Gleeson played the mandolin on his SNL appearance. Um, that was a good SNL episode. The one good one from the season. Uh, because she's not a creator, because she's not somebody who can rise above her art, she doesn't have anything that she's actually yes. created. Yep. Um, well, but she egotted, so she must have. She must have written a. She must have written a or score she, or for an she, Oscar. Is she smart and political enough to position herself as a as, producer, as like the head of something like? Re- I don't know. Like that. That's that's what's weird about this because we. I think that what the movie presents us with is the fact that she's never creating anything. She's just controlling people who are really talented. Yeah. And they're falling underneath her. We definitely never see her create anything or, yeah. or succeed at creating stuff. No, she just she has an eye for figuring out people that are good at something and kind of scooping them into her world. Yes. Right? Um, and even those like kind of dream sequences, like the nightmares she has were like the kind of there's like that kind of discordant either metro there's either the metronome or the droning sound from the the, the refrigerator. Like this this is what's what's eminently interesting about this movie to me because like it's it's uh, it's in my top ten, but I still don't know if I like it. Um, mm-hmm. In the sense of like, because she didn't create anything, she is destroyed. Because she isn't a creator, she's able to be destroyed. Yeah, she can control time with conducting, but she can only control what's already been created mm-hmm. for her. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And that's why, like, Bach perseveres. That's why Beethoven perseveres. That's why every, you know, from a music perspective, that's why these people persevere and she's just buried and destroyed. And that's why James Franco exists, because he was able to make some William Faulkner movies. I would argue that James Franco is buried and destroyed, though. <laughs> I was trying to. I was just making. A I remember having a conversation with somebody. I was trying to make a shitty. Has a lay dying because yeah. he made a movie. About no, he that. sucks. But um, I was having a conversation with somebody. Have you ever had passengers yet? By the way, passenger yet? By the way. No, I'm afraid. Yeah. I own it. It's sitting next to my bed, and I'm just. I haven't bought it yet. I reread the road again, so this is the fourth time in like two months that I've read the road. Somebody suggested in. I read an article. Somebody said like, "No Country for Old Men" is an example of a movie that's better than the book," and I was like, "You are a." Fucking idiot. I think they're totally separate things. Yeah. Even they're, while, they're, even though they're, they're, they're both great, but they're totally separate. Even things. though they're the same. I'm right. We're getting sidetracked. This movie is, is, and I, I could keep talking about this for a while. And I'm okay if, if we keep talking about this for a while. Cause it's yeah. so fucking dense. I don't, I'm going to watch it several more times before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Cause I just think it's, it's intentional. It's very, it's like the most, one of the most intentional movies I've ever seen. It is, absolutely. And I don't even know what that that statement means. Because all well, movies it is, are Because like, like there's so, but there's so much, lang- like but the I script of this film. Just that you, so much of the language in this film. Yes. What you just, just like, read about the U-Haul lesbian thing. It, I'm just like, I gotta watch it again. I gotta watch it again with the fucking, framework of knowing but also, what that means. But also like Todd Field just kind of assumes there's had to have been a ton of research that he did into this Absolutely. movie. And then just figured he assumed people would be like, you know what a U-Haul lesbian Like, his research went so deep that he was like, U-Haul lesbian, yeah, yeah wild mind script, yeah, of course people know what that is. Well, it's like a poem in the sense but like, that every word, I now assume every word, every gesture, every scene, every relationship, everything means something. I, I remember, like, like, there's so many, there's weird parts, that, like, yeah, because like there's parts where 
that are pretty easy to look at. Like where she rates the one girl highly, sees her boots and like reduces the score. No, no, it's a di- it's opposite. She rates her lowly, then sees her boots and changes the score to raise her score. Does she? Yes. I, all you can see is her. I thought she just erases the score. She erases this. Uh, she erases a lesser score and gives her a higher score. Oh, I thought she erases a. Nope. Because she sees, she saw her. She saw the boots. She looked this under the door. Movie man. She saw her come out. She was attracted to her. When she sees the boots again, she erases a lower score, and then gives her a higher score, so she gets hired. I thought okay. I guess that makes sense because she does get hired, but I thought. She and then was... she just keeps giving her stuff. Yeah. But that's where this movie is fucking nuts because it just assumes that this movie you're all dem- going to know movie, that stuff. This movie demands a lot of its audience. Absolutely, and that's why I think watching it in it doesn't. So here's one of the criticisms I'll have of it, and I can relate this to the two like actual movies that we. I mean, Barbarian is an actual movie and. Weird. Weird is an actual. I mean, movie? Barbarians. No, weird. Weird's not. <laughs> Barbarians more of a fucking movie than Armageddon time. <laughs> but Barbarian also is kind of aligned. To, it's like a horror movie. You know what I mean? It's a genre thing. Blah blah blah. Let's just say the three prestige. Proceed prestige. Carefully. The three. Let's say the three <laughs> prestige movies that we watched that we talked about today. Barbarian, Banshees, and Tar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but in, a, in a way, um, I'll say Barbarian. Barbarian does too, though. So four of these five movies have scenes that are... That's true. What do we want to call them? Weird has no scenes that seem intentional. It just seems like it was like second shots. So three out of these... Let's take weird out of the equation. Yeah. Three out of the four like real movies that we talked about today. Apologies to Weird Al and Daniel Radcliffe. Have scenes that are... I think that's all they want. Have scenes that are like... Are are central. are, Are core scenes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even Armageddon Time, which is a movie that I, I don't, you know, if whatever like scale we're using, I give it half. Yeah, it's if not. If we're it's using not five stars, it gets two and a half stars, four stars, two stars, ten stars, five stars. You know what I mean? You know what we call that? Mid. 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 Absolutely. It still has a it still has a scene or two that are like core. Yeah, scenes. absolutely. Even the New Yorker scene and the Juilliard scene. The way that this the Juilliard scene is definitely core, but the way that the movie it doesn't have a it doesn't it doesn't pay off the way that the nice scene does in Banshees, the way that Anthony Hopkins sells the bedtime scene in Armageddon, Armageddon time, time, the way that like the whole first forty minutes is paid off in Barbarian. You know what I mean? Mm. It doesn't have that. Like it it ends. It definitely ends. It's definitely cool that it's all one shot. That's brought up later again. Absolutely. For like it's, I mean, so it's really interesting that this movie's most important, this two most important scenes are in the first like 20 minutes of the movie. And then everything that comes after it is like rooted in stuff that is discussed in those two scenes. Um, doesn't like, I kept waiting the whole movie for Kate Blanchett to like, unwrap herself and just like give like everything to this movie or not like everything, but like, cause I guess she does. I just wanted something to like anchor it. And I, so I felt, I watched this, the two and a half hour movie. I felt unmoored from it the whole time. Yeah. I guess because I kept, I get like searching. I kept like 
picking up every kind of like detail that they gave me. And that's why I didn't enjoy, I think, the theater experience as much as I probably wanted to, which is why I got more out of like the rewatch at home. It's a better movie to watch at home. Yeah, it doesn't like the theater doesn't like kind of do anything. You're also able to rewind. Like I, there is, you have to rewind. It, and that's why it's like it's a rewind. You want to rewatch it because like you'll watch it once and then you'll go back and then you'll start picking stuff up easier, so you can just kind of like be in it. Um, you also want to watch. This is one of those movies I almost suggest watching with subtitles. But this is where the grooming thing comes in too, because I didn't notice the scene between. I didn't notice the significance of the scene between the bully and Kate Blanchett the first time around. And then the second time around, I was like, this is how she talks to everybody. She's talking to a little kid. That's such a good scene though. It's a fucking great scene, especially because it's, you know that she had that exact conversation with Francesca every day. She has that exact conversation with Francesca, even like in reality or like with her body language or how she, her tone. You think Francesca every day start breathing with her mouth open? Maybe. Every day she has that conversation. And I didn't notice it the first time around and I only picked it up the second time around. I was like, that's grooming. Well, yeah, because... You know what I mean? Is that like, well, cause, because don't tell... Like, I'm going to tell you this. Don't tell any adults. Well, how much how much time elapses between that scene and the matcha comment? I think you're like... A it's lot. Like tw- is it a lot? Okay. Yeah. Because I remember connecting those two together where she says like... Where she's like, you know, Francesca does everything, but then she goes like, where's the matcha? Yeah, because she's in her office then, right? Yeah. And that's what's so a little later. And it, that's what she's doing to like get to Francesca's computer. computer yeah, yeah. So that's a, that's she's, later. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It is later. I just can't remember like how much time. I feel like it's, it's like an hour. This is my fucking problem with this movie. Is it's like so intentional, and it's quick. Like it's two and a half hour long movie. It doesn't feel two and a half hours to me. No, it felt a little long, but it, kept, part, it feels long once she gets to the. To the Philippines because like there's well, like a little too much there. It just keeps ending. But it yeah. does pay off. I mean, that's the thing. So it does pay off it uh, does. emotionally with like the uh the massage scene. But I've never been oh, that's a good scene. I've I've never been so frustrated with a movie because I you if you ask me what is the themes of this film, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. So I mean, we're I at, couldn't even like pull like anything easy from this. I keep looking at my like the the um, computer, like wonder. I I feel like we've been talking about this movie for hours, but it's for thirty five minutes. Yeah. Does that? But this movie the does that, that make it, it good or bad? Do you enjoy it or do you not enjoy it? Oh, I think it's like I mean, it's in my top. I think it's great. I think it's it is the most. Not convoluted. What's the word? I'm obtuse. Mm. Film. It One of the most is. obtuse films I've seen while still while not being artsy, if that makes sense. While not being purposefully obtuse. It doesn't feel artsy. Yeah, it's, it's even it's, if it's, it's like exists in an artsy world. It's, it it's feel the most artsy. obtuse film I've seen that's not experimental. Yeah. There's experimental elements to it, obviously showing all the end credits in the beginning to show like the unraveling or whatever. Um but it is so obtuse in everything, and it dives straight into its depth. Like the Adam Gopnik scene, followed by the Juilliard, you know, with the Juilliard stuff. It's and making the NPR stuff. It's it's just like it's throwing stating everything like right away. It is telling you like fucking like take notes. Um, I, 
so I it's, think it's good. It's, I think it's it's a well, extremely well made movie. Um, it has a, it has a core central it does. amazing performance. I um, guess. Do you I mean you feel that like the? Yeah, no, no. The reason I say her performance is is amazing is because I think if she had ever slipped in a moment, I would have been able to like. I would have become detached from this movie. I think I stay engaged with this because of Kate Black. She's always responding to things in a way like the only two. So there's two big moments of Tar having emotional explosions. And that is the one that doesn't work at all. Her tackling Mark Strong, which is just goofy. And dumb. I think that's the, the worst part of this film is when she does that. It's like too much. But it is overwhelmed by her picking a number and running out to vomit. It's like the one part where, like, maybe it comes back into her. Mm. And she, like, has maybe a moment of recollection of what she's kind of been doing. Mm. Um, I think if there had been an actress who couldn't carry that, like, who couldn't carry kind of that emotional tone... Throughout it, or not even emotional tone, couldn't carry, couldn't carry what the scene demanded, right? Like she's constantly fluctuating herself to whatever yeah. the scene calls for. Yep. So it's inconsistent in the sense of an actual person, mm. but it's consistent in the sense of art or whatever. It's consistent in the sense of kind of bigger picture thing. Do you think that Chastain would give too much? I don't, I'm going to think about. I mean, it's, I, I, I guess, I yeah. I don't know. I just think, I just think <sighs> it doesn't matter who else, because this works. I guess. Because it works. It does, but it Because doesn't... it works, I think it's amazing. Because I think this is a movie that could have flopped with the wrong actress. And maybe other actresses could have done it. Fine, but like this is the actress that has chosen. Think, I think the problem that I'm running into, Mario, is to use your words. It feels, it feels. At the end of each watch, I felt like it didn't work, but it only felt like it didn't work because I'm not sure what it was supposed to be saying. Yeah. So I'm like all this, all the effort and all the everything that went into this movie, all the intentionality. Where it ends is, I'm ju- I'm just not sure what I'm supposed to be kind of like taking away. Well, from even it. when it ends, like <laughs> I only know it's a monster hunter thing because Wikipedia and Reddit told me it's monster. I know it's definitely a cosplayer thing, but oh, I I thought it was like a steampunk something. I guess yeah. ultimately it doesn't matter. We all understand like that she's now fallen from grace. Exactly, yeah. but um, but she doesn't feel like she's fallen from grace. She feels like she's serving the music. Right, I think that's the idea with like whatever Leonard Bernstein was saying, is that like you don't, it doesn't have to be Bach, it doesn't have to be whatever, it can be anything, as long as you are getting something out of it. So that's that's the, the no, 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 it's, no, it's, no, it's, no, it's, and that's what's fascinating to me. Yeah, is is there's a there's a a shot where she's underneath and separated underneath the waterfall where she has to go swimming. Yes, yes, and she's kind of just sitting there between the rocks, and then she just touches the rock yep to like ground herself and See, so it's like it, some people like said like oh, it was a sad ending look how much she's unraveled but i kind of look at that ending and be like she's gonna start from the bottom and probably crawl herself See, back up i thought a different thing i thought that i that scene seemed important to me also 
And this is why I think it's probably like a good, a, like an excellent movie that will I think get a Criterion cool. release fairly soon with like, you know, a four hour cut and like multiple essays is that I thought that scene was that she's still, these two people are meant to lead her around. She's still the center of this universe, but in that she's like alone under the waterfall, you know, blah, blah. I say blah, blah, blah a lot. Maybe it's just because I'm drinking. I think blah, blah, blah just suggests like, you there's know, a, there's a lot. No, it says, it says, you know, the line of thinking I'm going down. Yeah. Obviously. So blah, she's, she's blah, still blah, blah, the center. Blah, blah, blah. I, I just did it myself. Yeah. Because like, you know what, what I'm thinking. Let me get back to the point. I don't need to present you five examples. She's still the center of the universe, but she's also totally separated from the thing that was she perceived to be. Um, like, cause there, it's a, it's a, it's a boy and it's a, it's a man and a woman. And they're like flirting with each other and playing. In the Might water. be a boy and a girl because they're like girl, teenagers. Whatever. Maybe she is not into the relationships anymore. You know what I mean? She's not a part of. She's almost not a part of the world anymore. She's not engaging in transactions anymore. She's just a conductor, and that's I think where the massage scene kind of comes in to kind of like kick her in the fucking head. Even though she doesn't learn anything from it, she feels something. She feels. Like, like you said, the gravity of everything that's it's come before gut, it. And it makes her throw up. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so she just goes right to the music. You know what I mean? It's all about the music. It's all about what can you get out of the music. And so that's because well, that's immediately followed by her going to the, like the practice scene. Right? Yeah. Where and she, that's where she like does that. Yeah. She does that. Then immediately it's followed by her going, hello. And then good morning. What does this song, what does this say yeah. to you? And then she's eating at, the, at that restaurant with like the score in front of her and all this other stuff. But that's what's so fascinating. You used the word fascinating. What's so fascinating about it is that Todd Fields expertly yeah. finds Field, a, he's only one. Todd, Todd Fielding, Fieldings, Better. finds a way to connect that Juilliard scene to the end of the movie that is like a, like a novel. This movie strikes me as, as very novelistic in, in, in the way that it uses allusion to itself, the way that it uses metaphor, the way this is it like, uses objects. This is pretty Philip Rothy to me, too. It strikes me as, yeah, Philip Rothy, I guess, is good. There'd be more, way more sex if it was a Philip Roth novel. Um, no, but I meant like in terms of like tearing down, but then like not completely destroying. It and feels colder. So who's a colder Philip? Wouldn't be up. So all those Philip Roth, like all of his generation, would all be full mm-hmm. of sex, like lots of sex. So it would have to be a. It wouldn't be a boomer. It'd be a Gen Xer. So. Ah, uh, Delillo. But it, it, you know, it Delillo is pretty good, because Delillo was all about the ideas and find. And I guess it's got a cosmopolis feel to it. Almost. It does. It does have a late Delillo feel to it a little bit. You know what? You know my problem with this movie is, it's like I, I, I'll say this: it feels smarter than I, I was in the moments I've watched it. And I'm going to be honest with you: it's probably why nobody went to see it because I think people want. Some people probably did go to see it like the first weekend it was out and was just like, the word of mouth was like, don't worry. about The it. fact that everyone's fucking saying like this movie's about unraveling of a conductor, it's like that's not what this movie. I mean, yeah. That's the plot of the movie. That's not what it's, That's not what it's about. But I also and don't if you, know. If you tell about. me like what it's about, I'm like, oh, I don't fucking know. That's exactly what I was going to say. 
But I'll sell. I'll tell you one other thing. Uh, five years from now, I'll be like, got it. Figured I it out. I think I got it. But um, that's that's forty-one year old. You'll be calling me. You'll be calling me from the, only forty-one, by the way. You'll be calling me ladies. from the governor's office. And you're like, Tom, get in here. <laughs> we got to do a pod, quick podcast about what tar is about. I don't know why I'm in the governor's office. You're gonna campaign on tar. I figured out tar for your re-election campaign. That's Lamont's gonna. I know Lamont's gonna skip Susan Bicewich to choose. Oh, what was I gonna DSS. say? I was just gonna say something. Forget what it is. Fuck. We're talking about uh, being smarter and people having opinions on the themes. Oh, so I just showed what I showed my kids um, everything everywhere all at once because we own it. Did you know we own it on YouTube? I do. Um, so we we were all sick. I've watched it once since then. I had gotten my COVID vaccine, my booster. And it gave me an awesome fever, but I wasn't sick. I just had this, like, fever. I, didn't I, get, feel, I still need to get my booster. I didn't feel bad. I was just, like, feverish, which is, like, a weird feeling to have. So I was just, like, laying on the couch, and I was like, oh, like I don't want to watch, like, Superstore again. I don't want to watch, like, any of the things that we, like, watch kind of, like, as a group or The Good Place again. I was like, oh, I'll just show them, like, the first, like, hour of everything everywhere. Like, and see what they think. But, but... I am fully invested now in the idea that Michelle Yeoh wins that award because I, I think, think she does. I think our feelings about Tar are everybody's feelings about Tar, and I think Michelle Yeoh is excellent in everything, everywhere, all at once, and it's much easier to understand. Oh, she's excellent, and so is uh, uh oh man, what's his name? I, I can never remember his name. And don't say it. Don't say the thing that I always want to no, say. No, I know. But uh, uh, Kai, Kai, I think is his first name. Quan. Quan. Yeah, Quan. Yeah. Um, I think they're excellent in that movie. I've rewatched that movie. I fucking hate that movie. I don't get it. And Stephanie, Stephanie Husin, Husu and uh, the Daniels ruined that movie. She uh, and I think I don't think it's because of her acting. I think it's because she's doing what the Daniels want, which Daniel Radcliffe she- did. It's Swiss Army Man, and both of those things are things I hate. I don't think it's what they that want. That movie fucking sucks. It's not a performance thing. It's an editing thing. It's They always put her in a position to be unlikable. Everything she does in that movie is unlikable, and you're not supposed to feel that way about her. You're no. supposed to feel like, you're supposed to feel bad for her. No, it's supposed to be, you know what, know what, know what you're reminding me of? is Liza Minnelli. Mm, it's why? big. Because she's oh, big. super big, yeah. Because that's the Daniels but thing. But I don't think it's the big. big. It's not the bigness no, in the performance. It's, it it's is, how it they is. use it. That's the it's problem. How they use no, the, the bigness. The problem with that is it's so big. So I'm, I have to I have to look up his name and the pronunciation of it because it's going to take. Uh, I mean, obviously, one movie takes up two of my things, but I am uh, Kehu Kwong. Mm. I, I think things how you say it. Like he's probably going to be on my list. I think because he's, I mean he's him and him and Michelle Yeoh work so well off of each other, and the stuff where it's just them work. Um, well, he's the favorite my, already to win best supporting actor. He probably does, uh, unfortunately. Which is fucking awesome. Which I mean, I'm good. so happy for him. I'm glad he's coming back in the acting because he's a good actor. Oh my! I mean, he, he's he's he I, is. I would great I would I would prefer Brendan Gleeson sure. gets an Oscar because Brendan Gleeson deserves it. Um, but I think I think either one of those. But my my issue with that movie is like Jamie Lee Curtis and Jamie, Stephanie. As Stephanie Sue Sue 
I, I true, true. Are doing what the Daniels want. Because I think Jamie Lee Curtis is, is a really good actress, but she does what she wants her director. She does, you, a director tells her do this, and she's like, okay. Um, and I think Stephanie Zeus does the same thing. And the Daniels are so fucking terrible at being directors because they are, their vision, their, their visions are so surface level. It's very hand-fisted. 2D it's, and yes, hand-fisted. Absolutely. That's why Swiss Army Man fucking sucks. I, and the, this movie fucking sucks. Yeah, I, this, movie, this movie doesn't fucking suck. This movie's bad because there's a decent fun thing with Michelle Yu and Quan doing their stuff. But there's so much. Garbage. I don't know if I would. And say, then people like yeah. lose their mind of like, oh, then but it becomes like a small family yes. movie at the end, and it's like, go fuck yourself. But this is what it, we're, it's not even. It's not even easy. It's it's easy. It's not one thing. It's it's easy what they do, but it's also like Mario. So boring to look at, and it's unearned, and it's after two and like an hour and forty minutes of a droll. Boring, stupid fucking movie with jokes that never fucking work. But this is what we're talking about. Fuck that movie. This is what we're talking about. This is a perfect one hundred percent. I would tell you this. That's on my worst list. I was telling when, well, when, like, when I texted you about like best picture movies. I hate this movie now, and it's not because everyone loves it. It's just I keep rewatching and I keep just because I think the Daniels are talented, but they're kids. I, they're immature idiots. So I would. Say this is what makes me mad. They're really good directors. Yeah. They could be, but they don't know how to get out of their fucking asses. This has become a very Mario Why am I so angry? Take. I don't know, but it's not, un, it's not like on, on, um, this is the thing that's happened before on this podcast is that I think in kind of what I was going to say is that we are kind of, we're, we've left it in a kind of interesting place is that I think something like everything everywhere all at once is really easy. And what we've been talking about for the last like 40 minutes is a movie that is, too um, dense. Too hard. Yeah. Too dense. And like the middle ground is Banshees, right? Like that's the middle. The, I mean, I guess. No, because it's so. Because it's, it's hard. It's hard. Any, no, it's because, hard. The middle, the middle ground suggesting that would suggest that it's, it's, it's simple to do. It's, it's impossible. Exactly. Almost impossible. To Everything do. that Martin McDonough does in Banshees is intentional and on purpose. And One of. One of the best modern filmmakers, we can say that now, right? Maybe. Maybe he didn't have to make a couple more. Best modern writers. Best modern writers. For writer. sure, yeah. yeah. Um, we could say that because of his plays. So, like the movie. Pillow the, Man. The scene have that, you seen Pillow Man? I have not. The scene that always gets me in Everything Everywhere is the dildo scene. Because Because you hate it. Totally unnecessary. No. It makes no sense. It's fucking stupid. It's just to shock, but dildos aren't shocking. And even when my kids watch it, they didn't even know what they were. Okay? And they know all about penises. Butt plug, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but like, that's the thing. A butt plug is shaped differently than the dildo. Come on. Sure. Whatever. Tom. No, but no, when, when, when um, the daughter fights with the dildo. Oh. That's are, what, are you talking about that? You're not talking yes. about the butt plug. No, no, scene the butt plug scene is funny. Is it? it no, that, that scene, I'm, I hate it. It's hella obvious. But like the way that it's so goofy, the way that the execution of that, the fight scene is so goofy. The problem with the dildo you can't scene, do that. You can't do that and earn my. You can't do that and then try to like earn the emotional moments of the rock scene. What I'm trying, which works. Right, what I'm trying to say about the dildo scene is that it's it's unearned. They just show up out of nowhere. Yeah, and they're like they're dildos, 
And you're just kind of like, and? Well, that's everything. What? That's everything with that movie. But that's the dildo scene is the most explicit version well, yeah, of that. The, because the, hot just, dog, the hot dog fingers also are the same thing. But the hot dog So thing, is the fucking, the rac, raccoon whatever. But the hot dog finger scene is not, there's nothing inherently transgressive about hot dog fingers. There's inherently easy, something though. transgressive about, we're fighting with dildos. It's like, oh, is that supposed to be transgressive? I think it is. But like, it doesn't. Dildos aren't transgressive. It doesn't come out of anywhere. And it's not an alternate universe. It's just dildos. All of a sudden, there's dildos. Is that meant to be transgressive? But I just the, thought. It, it was... has to be because, again, because it has no, it's not rooted in anything that came before or comes after. It's nothing. It's just all see, of a sudden, I, I there's took, dildos. I took that as being um, Joe Boo, like, kind of like. Immaturity overall. I don't know. I don't know. That's what I'm saying, right? That's what I'm saying. Fucking stupid. Jesus Christ. Is that there's, and this is the, so it's very Armageddon. So I actually had the same feeling that I had watching Armageddon Time is that there's no core. There's no core. There's no core to either of those movies. James Gray also isn't, doesn't go, like, you you made the Moon Pirates joke. Love the Moon Pirates. But on a bash, like, you're not being, Sarcastic when you say that. I am being sarcastic. It's hilarious that he thought it was a good idea to have Somali pirates on the fucking moon. But it is. But it's much more grounded and somewhat... It, it's In its universe, in the world that that film creates, and in kind of like whatever thematic core James Gray created, yep. it makes more sense so, than a farting goddamn corpse yep. and all the bu- bullshit in this. I'm raising... So... Um, Children of Men and Ad Astra, I think, or, or, or Afonso Cuaron and, and James Gray, I think, are interesting comparisons. Was Children of Men on your list? No, but it's, ex- it's on your list. It's yeah, of course, it's on movie. my list. I know that um, I know, I know that movie. Um, both try to imagine what it's a world... The, the world moving on, moving on. The world in the place that it is when the movie takes place. What would that be like? Okay. Quaron in Children of Men is doing a very rational resignation. Or just, uh, but his, his ideas for what that world looks like is, is I don't want to say, it's not simple. It's that this is what has happened what does this mean economically? What does this mean? And from an engineering standpoint, like, what does this mean? And it, he does that. And it's the, if there's a theme related to it, it's in that the function of those things relates to the theme, relates to the theme. Yeah. In something like Ad Astra with the moon pirates. Okay. Or even like in Armageddon time with the character of Johnny, it's less that the construction relates to the theme and that he thinks that, or it seems to think that, you know what there would probably be is like marauders on the moon. See, I was, I was and then up, you're just kind of like, well, why would there be marauders on the I moon? And he'd be like, well, because there's, it's, so it's, I guess what I want to say is that it's very surface level. Yeah. You know what I mean? The white teacher, and again, I'm not trying to justify the white, the, like turkey whatever his name is in the thing that they call him. I'm trying to justify like his racism, 
But he's just like, a white teacher would inherently hate this black kid. Why? Like, what's the white teacher about? I, no one has any idea. Yeah. It just, he just would do it. And I think my problem with everything everywhere is that it falls into the same traps where it's just like, what would they do now? They would fight with dildos. Why? Because, because they do. They do. And that's the thing with that's and that but again, so that's all very surface. And the problem what we're running into with Tar is like the total opposite of that. Is that like why would she do that? Well, you have to watch the movie seven times mm-hmm. yeah. because it's all in there. Also, you one need to look time up certain, she says this one. You need thing. to look up certain terminology. Yes. You need to follow some parts of music. You need to look up the fact that Bach was problematic because I didn't even know that Bach. I was just like, oh, he might have been a late racist like all the rest of the guys from the time. Which is what she says. Like She's like Austro-German, like white. Males. But I literally looked up Bach controversy after that and I could not. Like, uh, like apparently he was just so much. I mean, maybe he was just such a figure of his time that like it was there was not a lot of controversy about him because it's just like Bach was just Bach of that so what you're, t- what you're describing, Mario, is another level that I'm not sure that I'm really super interested in digging into, which is why I'm not sure ultimately how I feel about Tar, which is that that kid is taking but I think a general fact about Bach and extrapolating a modern meeting that's the onto point. The, and that's the, idea point, right? of the idea that he fathered like a lot of kids. Because that's, that's the point, right? It's, it's, it's the comment that, um, oh, God. Shouldn't be doing saying this, but I'm gonna say it. uh, it's it's a it's a point like Jim Jeffries said about comedy. Yes, Jim Jeffries said about comedy like comedians always push the envelope, mm-hmm. you know. And you can't look at what Reese said seven years ago and say it's wrong, or ten years ago and say like apologize for that because ten years ago it was acceptable in modern society. And if we're there now, call us out because like society has shifted and changed, right? Um, and like that's the thing because I, I, like that kid's presented as a fucking idiot like to me like I, I see that, that yeah. two yard seat I'm like that kid's a fucking which I, think, which I think is, which but, I think is the intent but I also think it's wrong because I think in the current in the current nature of the culture he shouldn't have to be obligated to fawn over Bach when there are people writing music that he may be absolutely attached to and so she and so that's where she's wrong and that so tar kind of breaks it down to being like that person writes this kind of music and is very attractive and she's not asking him what he gets out of it you know what i mean um that's where but this is where i think the movie is both a weird masterpiece and like too much is that she then doesn't ask him what he thinks about it he, she asks another person what she thinks about the music that she is asking him, like what he gets out of it. Which is what she's is, saying. Which, you should get something out of it, but what do you get out of which it? Which is genius to me because it presents, which works for me in that scene because it presents her. Because ultimately, absolutely, it's a movie told from a woman who has her own demons, and that's what she would do. Absolutely, and but I think the thing that we're both pushing back on a little bit, maybe me more than you, is that like. This just oh, this is a lot. There's no. just so much going on in every not even every single scene. Can we call a movie yeah, can you call a movie good that requires you to like keep watching it again and again? And that you don't feel like because I would never give a good review to a book that required 
me to read it more than twice. No, and that required me to read it more than twice. I've read I mean, a bunch of books. Everyone more than loves once. fucking House of Leaves, and we both think House of Leaves is fucking garbage. It's, well, it's because it's not. It's unreadable. Yeah, it's unreadable. But everyone, everyone that loves it will be like, it just requires a lot of reading. But the, so what it requires, so it's. You're not so this is actually a really good example. You're but it's not like, reading House of Leaves over and over and over again because it's connecting with you emotionally. You're trying to figure out its secrets. I'm if I go my problem with Tar is that I feel like I would be rewatching it for the same reason. Trying to just ultimately figure out what it is about because I don't really feel a lot about Tar. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not I have no personal investment in Tar, and I think that's kind of like ultimately what I think is really interesting about this combination of movies that we're like reviewing today is that I did feel some stuff watching Armageddon Time. Like anytime Jeremy Strong was on the screen, I felt like this movie is terrible. <laughs> I felt frustration and anger. But anytime that it's just like um, Paul and, and Johnny, Johnny or, or Paul or, and, and, and Anthony Hopkins, uh, I was like, or even a little like sometimes with like, the Paul, like a little bit Paul Ann Hathaway because she does try to convey she does, that yeah. she wants something. Um, like for herself, like her character desires something. I did feel something. I was like moved by some of the things that were happening in a very mediocre movie. I felt unmoved with, uh, in, with everything regarding Tar, but I definitely felt compelled to figure it out. Yeah, and that's... Uh, I, so like obviously Armageddon Time's not asking a lot of its its listen uh, viewers, and I don't know. This is why I always call the Confederacy of Dunces versus Infinite Jest mm, conundrum. For yes, me. that's a good one. In the sense of Confederacy of Dunces, I read my like I read it through the first time. I was like, oh, compelling. I should read that again because there's, there's something interesting in there. I got like fifty pages through Infinite Jest, and I was like, fucking, I hate David. No thanks. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I guess House of Leaves is, I, I did finish House of Leaves, but it's the same entire thing. It's like, you have to give me something. And Tar gave me that. Mm. Like Tar was interesting enough on its first viewing for me to go like, I need to come back to, and then I came back to it. For sure, yeah. And so that's why I think it is a gr- very solid, I don't want to call it a great movie, but a very solid film in a weak year so far. That should be a, See, I'm trying should not be to be noted. Of, I'm trying not to think of it. Uh, that's yeah, I for sure. Because I'm, but, 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 but it's, it's, it's 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 it has nothing to do with like the week. It has nothing to do with the week year. I just don't know if like if there have been so many movies that had moved me this year that I would want to come back to it. But it's intentional enough, but also still has enough like pathos to it to where I want wanted to come back to it. See, I don't know how. So th- th- we're at an interesting crossroads here because I'm not sure how much pathos I'm acknowledging in it. As much as I'm acknowledging its expertise, and I'm, I'm pathos, giving it, I'm giving it multiple shots based on its quality. Pathos, and uh, when I say pathos, I don't think the movie itself has pathos, but I think Todd Field feels strongly enough about. And that's where I come, like the meta criticism comes from. It is like I feel as though this director I really love cares enough about this to have put so much effort into it that I want to give it a better shot. I give it more of a shot because it, I was invested in it enough. And I think it's well-made enough. And the previous body of work and the years before have made it. So like, I really want to figure it out. I will. We can close whenever we want. 
But I think yeah. my last comment on it will be the thing that, as we're talking about this, that it reminds me the most of is um, in that for m- most of Phantom Thread up until a certain point, I was like, I'm not sure why this movie exists. I get it. It's Paul Thomas Anderson. He's doing Paul Thomas Anderson things. Daniel Day Lewis, excellent. Vicky Crepes is, 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 I've never heard of her before, but she's selling whatever this is. Leslie Manville is very good. Johnny Greenwood's score is. But so until he gets sick the first time and sees his mother standing there, and you have that that great moment where he's talking to her and that like candle. And then I was just like, and then it goes from there into the like, not right like one after the other, into the New Year's scene. Um, And then I'm just like, I'm just like drawn into it, into it like emotionally. Yeah. Into a movie that at that point I wasn't drawn into emotionally before. This movie doesn't have that scene in it. No, it's an it's not it's not an all time great. And I don't even never mean, I don't be. even all time great. It just it doesn't have a scene that draws me into it emotionally. Well, and it's, I never, kept it's, it's waiting, not gonna... I kept waiting for it to have that scene, and it never had it. Regardless, and of now what, I don't know what to do with it. Regardless of what happens with this movie and how we think of it, it won't be remembered. You don't think it won't be remembered? No, I don't think so. I tend to think it won't either, because it's it's not silence, which a lot of people had difficulty with at first because it felt dense, but like people had like some sort of visceral response to it, but they didn't know why, and now they're coming around to like we're like Variety today like listed silence has Martin Scorsese's greatest film. Oh, I think it's easily his best. Movie. But it's it's like one of those movies where he had a visceral response to it and. I don't think anybody comes out of Tar who isn't like, you know, but again, a fucking psychopath. Um, but in psychopath in the sense of like, if you have this response to this, like you probably need to reevaluate things in your life. Uh, it's, it's an intellectual experience yes. through and through. Never. It's never an emotional But the silence thing is great. And I'm, I'm, in, I'm glad that you brought it up, but I think it's like, I, it was unexpected, but it also has, Tar doesn't have a moment where Andrew Garfield's character watches Adam Driver's character watch a bunch of Catholics drown Protestants or, or, or vice versa, whatever yeah, it is. I can't remember what it was. Um, you don't have that. That's not a thing that exists in Tar, but it exists in that. Um, there's, there's no emotional ground. Yeah, it's, but, but, which is weird. It's always just an intellectual yeah. movie, which All is, right. I think, the intent, but whatever. Maybe we'll come back to it. Maybe. When you're the governor. Lieutenant Governor. I'm coming either for way, you. I'm coming way. for you, Bicewitch. Either way. Um, all right. So um, uh, if you want to uh, tweet us, don't. Yeah, don't. Twitter. Don't worry about Twitter. I think I'm going to pull off. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you can email us at podcast at gmail.com or you can go to pimpleflifilm.com, uh, podcast.com, and see all the movies on the list and drink, go watch the beers. We're going to be with you in a couple weeks. We're going to talk about Fableman. We're going to talk about Sight and Sound, hopefully. Yeah. We're talk about Black Panther. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff. Uh, watch movies, drink the beers. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.